where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Good morning. Oh, you need a, is my microphone already on, Matthew? It's on? So I can say it now? Good. Awesome. That's so cool. Uh, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the opening drive on Christmas week, 2023. Brooke Grimsley, Carrie Davis, Randy Carricker at 7 o'clock in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, kids. How was your weekend? Good morning. Very you good. excited about Christmas? Everybody ready? Yes. I was not expecting that no. this morning. Oh, but... man. I got Christmas music galore for this week. And I love that song. I know some people say that it's overplayed, uh, but I love that song. It's a good song. It's the best-selling Christmas song of all time, I believe. Is it really? Yeah. I and think she wrote that, so she yeah. is just pocketing oh, big all time. that money. Yeah, you her. know what? That'd be a fun <laughs> Google search. How much money does Mariah Carey make from play what, from One song? Yeah. Enough to never do anything ever again. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's nice. Oh, it was, uh, I think the, was it Matthew Perry and all the friends, people making 20 million a year yeah. off of residuals? Yes. It's not bad. Were they really? Yes. Yeah, 20 million a year. From all you have to do after is. After the know, show was in syndication, yeah. they no longer needed to do right. anything. So you, all you have to do is sit back and relax in your pool. Yeah. Oh, oh, Randy. Oh, I, I wasn't even thinking of. Oh. <laughs> Randy, it is 7 01. It's too early Randy. for that. <laughs> oh my lord. No. 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 Oh man. <laughs> Anyways, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, Chris Kerber will join us later in the show. We got three things we loved about the weekend a little NFL talk. Um, interesting comments this weekend from your. Uh, Pobo of your St. Louis Cardinals, John Mozeliak. Uh, very interesting stuff. And uh, our St. Louis Blues and longtime fan favorite Jordan Cairo coming through on Saturday night over at Enterprise Center. The Blues coming away with uh, an overtime victory, 4-3 over the Dallas Stars. Uh, good job. Yeah. Good Jordy. Kaisy. Ruzy. Ruzy. There Ruzy. you go. And cheers, guys. Cheers from the fans. Oh, big time. Big he, he deserved it. Yeah, he had a goal to tie the game at 2-2 after the Blues had fallen behind by a score of 2 to nothing. Then Hazy put the Blues up 3-2 before Dodonov tied it for the Stars, but the game went to overtime, and in the first minute of overtime, another longtime St. Louis fan favorite came through. Three straight drop passes now, and it's Kairou working to puck over the line. Skates it in, drives the middle, left there. Blues shoot, they score! Pareko! Saturday night in St. Louis. 
And all of a sudden, your St. Louis Blues are back in the playoff hunt after dropping four in a row. Their victory on Saturday night got them within a point of the second wildcard spot in the NHL's Western Conference. Arizona has a one-point lead over the Blues. Two wins in a row. It's a uh, are, are we are we um, are we are we bought in yet? Or are we going to yeah. just continue to watch and wait uh, and see? I, <laughs> what do you? Th- I, I think that you still have to wait and see, yeah. right? Because of course, it feels like there's always that bump after there's a coach firing, mm-hmm. a new guy coming in. Jordan Cairo, obviously. Seems to be doing a lot better, which is a huge positive. But you have to wait and see because what have we seen so far with the Blues this season? They're a roller coaster. Uh, up and down. Yeah, not up and down. However, that being said, uh, when taking the job, uh, Stanley Tucci said that he he felt like in his time <laughs> who Stanley, the Blues head coach Stanley Tucci. I'm watching the games. I see who's behind the bench. Wait, isn't he an actor? Well, I don't know, but he's a hockey coach. I mean, I've seen him a million. Doesn't he have a show on CNN, a cooking show in Italy? Yeah, and he was like on Hunger Games. Man, he is busy. And yeah. he's coaching the Blues? Wow. Busy. <laughs> <laughs> he does look exactly like it. It's amazing. It's great. But uh, Drew Bannister said that he could count on one time the, the times in Springfield or with the Blues minor league affiliate. He could count on one hand the times that he didn't feel like he got max effort from his team. So if he can get max effort out of this group, then they have a really good chance to finish third in their division or be a wild card team. <laughs> I, I, yeah. well, I, okay. I, I wonder. So I wonder what it is that if he's able to get max effort, because clearly that was one of the hangups for Ruby, just every single night not getting guys to show up with the effort and energy. Uh, he needs to do a course on mm-hmm. it because if there's a way to get this team to play that way every single night, then they're going to be a pretty good team. But they haven't shown the ability to do it every no. single night. It's just a bizarre thing in hockey. Mm-hmm. And every hockey coach, I mean, I think Peter Laviolette might be on his sixth team and he's won a lot of places, but then he loses the ear. And yeah. it, it happens all the time you, with hockey coaches, how they get, they get whacked one place and then they go to the next place and the team is good for two, three years, and then all of a sudden players quit listening to him. And a pox on the players, by the way, for getting lazy and getting coaches fired. It happens. It, it, it's, it's, it happened to Joel Quenville here, for gosh sakes. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. Happened to Hitch, right? Happened to Yo. And I don't know why it is indigenous to hockey, but players quit on coaches on a regular basis. Well, it's just like we talked about last week, right? It's worse than college football, if not the same, where in college football, it seems like you just get a few years and then you might mm-hmm. be out the door. You might be doing well for a little bit, you're out the door, but then it's just like they get recycled. They just go to a different location and it works for a little bit and then it doesn't. In the NHL, maybe that's part of it. The players just kind of know, well, this is the way it goes, right? Is that the coach does well for a little bit, message goes stale, we're ready for somebody else to come in. Is that maybe just a mentality thing where the players know that this is just how the NHL goes? I I would say that that is part of it, that they just say, okay, I I want a new voice. I'm tired of this voice. Credit, by the way, to John Cooper in Tampa, who's been there forever now, Mm -hmm. not literally forever, but for a long time for a hockey coach. Uh, He's been around for a long time, and there aren't many guys. Cooper started in 2013. Mike Sullivan started with the Penguins in 2015. And then uh, Berube was fifth on the seniority list. But if you look at the guys now that are... In the NHL, most of them are on uh, Cooper aside, second, third, fourth times. And th- they're just going to keep getting recycled because players know, hey, we can get a new voice. Sometimes, though, it gets kind of scary because you wind up with John Tortorella. 
Uh, yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work out that way. Or well. Mike Babcock. Oh, yeah, that didn't work out well either. Yeah, he just likes families. He just wanted oh, to connect with his to, younger players. Yeah, right. see what they were doing. Isn't what that what the on? young kids do? They yeah, just they, look at each other's phones. That's and, all they do. Yeah. They, they FaceTime with the phone facing up. They don't even. So, Kairou, after being booed lustily by Blues fans after he had said, he ain't my pa. Uh, no, he said, he said, he's, <laughs> he basically, no, he said, uh, he's not my coach about Craig Berube. So he was booed on Thursday night, but then on Saturday night, Squiz gets three points, scores a goal, and all of a sudden the fans are cheering for him again. And you hear the cheers here tonight. You love these fans, don't you? That's uh, uh, awesome. I love playing here. I love this rink. It was a great win by us tonight. There you go. I don't know why we had to X that out, why we had to censor that. <laughs> it's, it's the mic was cutting out. That's oh, all it was. Okay. Yeah. Got yeah, it. I don't want those words on the airwaves. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, no. Now, it, one thing that when you're a scorer that makes you believe that the guy is giving effort is shot attempts, like nine shot attempts for Jordan Cairo. Yeah, I think I was just trying to find, you know, more of the open F3. You know, I think these guys, they were letting a lot of, our pre-scope for the game showed a lot of F3, F3 shots. And, you know, I'm also credit to my line mates. You know, they're finding me a lot tonight. Now you got to do it on a regular basis. I'm not saying you have to do it 82 times a year, but you have to show Blues fans who are smart that you're trying hard. And they notice that, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's a big part of it. It's hard for me to really believe that Craig Bruby wasn't trying to get the most out of Jordan Cairo. I think 100% that he was pushing Jordan Cairo. We know as much because Ruby would say as much in his post-game comments leading up to all of this. We even talked about it last year with Jordan Cairo. I 100% believe Ruby was trying to get the most. I just don't think that it was a message that Jordan Cairo was buying into. I think Jordan Cairo is immature. And I think that's why he 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 thought that Bruby was berating him rather than trying to get the best out of him. I don't think he had any clue that he was being coached. Well, I mean, sometimes as a coach, you when you're a good coach, you know that each player needs something different. And mm-hmm. so how I talk to one player is probably not how I can talk to another player. Finding that balance. But at the end of the day, the message needs to be clear and concise. This is the job that needs to be done. And that message can go from, you know, nice and coddling to now I've said this four times man <laughs> let's go what are you doing so if if we are trying to have conversations and trying to work through things but you're unwilling or unable to get the message clearly then I may have to speak it in different terms and I think you know I think Craig Ruby did a great job with this team and did did a great job with these players but for whatever reason they just not all of them but some of them just were unable to finish and do the thing that he needed them to do in the way he needed it done yeah, that's that's 100% what happened, and that's basically what Armstrong said, right, in his comments, is that he would talk to Baruby before the games to say, what is the message? Mm-hmm. And then he would watch the game, and he didn't feel like that message was being executed. Blues at Tampa tomorrow. College basketball over the weekend. St. Louis U rallies for a 75-74 win over Louisiana Tech. Illinois over Colgate, 74-57. The Illini will take on Crest later this week, and then Arm and Hammer <laughs> right after that. Yep, we're working, we're working our way up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was every time that I hear Colgate, I'm like, what? What, <laughs> what is Toothpaste doing in this conversation? And then uh, Seton Hall beat Mizzou 93 to 87. And next weekend, you've got Illinois and Mizzou for the McBride and Son Homes bragging rights. Let's go, ILL. We need yeah, to get a bet going for, for this. Mm-hmm.
We're getting, it, we're getting it done. Man. And then uh, Mizzou plays December 29th, Mizzou football, in the uh, in the Cotton Bowl down uh-huh. in Dallas against the Ohio State University from the Big Ten. That'll be exciting. It'll be fun, yeah. It's going to oh. be exciting. I, I mean, you know, I'm intrigued to see what this Ohio State team looks like with most of their players, a lot of their guys that are uh, opting out due to transferring or maybe going to the draft. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a – Mizzou should – take care of their business because they got all of their guys playing. Um, so it should be a good game. You know what, though? Ohio State will still have like four times more four and five star players than Mizzou. I, I, that's, the, that's the thing. Like They got a lot of guys that are in waiting for an opportunity that have, you know, that, that guys that are going to be superstars in the future, future NFL players that just haven't had the opportunity to play as much because of the people in front of them. So we'll see them on the 29th. So we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, what we loved about the weekend here on the opening drive. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. All right, time for four downs from week 15 in the National Football League. First down. All right, kids, I've often said on this very program, I've echoed the words of the great Mike Martz, that Christian McCaffrey of the San Francisco 49ers is the closest thing the NFL has had to Marshall Falk since Marshall Falk. Mm. Well, the NFL apparently is starting to recognize that. Uh, Yesterday, this NFL missive, Christian McCaffrey has 1,292 rushing yards and 509 receiving yards this season and is the fourth player in NFL history to record at least 1,000 rushing yards and 500 receiving yards in four or more career seasons, joining Pro Football Hall of Famer, Marshall Falk. McCaffrey has totaled 6,018 rushing yards and 4,265 receiving yards since entering the NFL in 2017 and is the third player with at least 6,000 rushing yards and 4,000 receiving yards in his first seven seasons, joining Pro Football Hall of Famer Marshall Falk. McCaffrey is the second player in NFL history with 30 games with at least 50 rushing yards and 50 receiving yards, joining Pro Football Hall of Famer Marshall Falk. And like Marshall with the greatest show on turf, McCaffrey is playing on what is clearly the best team in the National Football League. And as Brock Purdy said yesterday, his quarterback, he is the MVP. Christian McCaffrey, for all of the great talent on San Francisco, is the straw that stirs the drink. He's amazing. He is, uh, he is outstanding. They do a great job of finding ways to get the football to him and creating mismatches. Uh, it's it's exciting to watch because as a defensive coordinator, I know you have to have some sleepless nights before you play the San Francisco 49ers. It is hard to play man-to-man because they're going to be lined up in different places. You're going to have Devo Samuel in the backfield. You can't bring a corner into the box because he will run the football. Mm-hmm. And so you're putting yourself in a in a disadvantage when you're playing against them. You're, you're limiting what you can do defensively. And, and a, big, a big part of that is what Christian McCaffrey can do both in the pass game and in the run game. That's still one of the best decisions that the 49ers made, bringing Christian oh, McCaffrey over. Time. It made yeah. a huge difference. So, Randy, in the words of our great friend Lee Corso, you Hold said on. The, we got second down, oh. right? Oh, you got to get the second down. In the words of our great friend Lee Corso, you said the 49ers are the best team mm-hmm. in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Not so fast, my friend, because oh. the Baltimore Ravens are Ooh. also in the NFL, Ooh. and they sit atop of the AFC with an 11-3 and record. They had a big win last night. Um, Lamar ja- in Jacksonville, at Jacksonville, Lamar Jackson has been doing outstanding things. Now, Keaton Mitchell, the running back, may be out for the year with a, with a knee injury. He did, get, he did go down uh, late in that game, but... The way that Lamar Jackson is able to become 
uh, more of a passing threat in the pocket. He did some things last night inside the pocket, escaping sacks and tackles and defenders, which it, it's it's just lights out football. And when I was listening to Chris Collinsworth describe him, he, he said it's like Fran Targenton or Michael Vick. These are the, the quarterbacks of my era and your era that mm-hmm. you got to watch that are – you know, escape artists and find ways to make big plays downfield through a great pass to Isaiah Likely, who went up and grabbed one. The 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 uh, Baltimore Ravens, when they are healthy, are one of the best teams, and they are the best team in the NFL right now. And those two teams, the, the 49ers and the Ravens, are my two picks to make it to the Super Bowl. I'm still feeling really good about that. I, I need Ron, Ronnie Stanley to get healthy. Mm-hmm. He's still banged up, but Marlon Humphrey played extremely well last night after not having what I thought was a great game last week. So, they're coming around defensively. They're coming around offensively, and they are playing really good football, complimentary football, and playing really well. Do you guys ever do anything on Christmas night? One week from tonight, you've got Ravens and Niners. Let's get it. Ooh, yeah. let's do it. That one's going to really be fun. Good. That's going to be great. And you know that the Ravens have to be good for CD to be singing oh, the praises. Oh, oh. I, I, honestly, I really like Lamar Jackson. Like yeah. I am a Lamar Jackson fan. You know, I know he plays for this other team in, in purple and black and uh, whatever, but he <laughs> is a special football player that I would watch any day of the week. And guys, he's doing it without Mark Andrews. I kind of yes. thought Mike, Mark Andrews was his blankie, right? But he's not. He, yeah. he just turns Isaiah Likely, like you say, into a, a premier, not just a really good tight end, a premier tight end, and he's utilizing all the weapons. They finally get him weapons, and he's utilizing them. And he has become, and, and he always wanted to be this quarterback, yeah. but he's become a quarterback that throws the ball first and runs the ball second. Third down. Well, I have to talk about one about my favorite soap operas in the NFL this season. And guys, it's going to be the Jets. The Jets are a mess right now. Just as Aaron Rodgers is starting to emerge back from his darkness retreat, it feels like the Jets wound up in another dark place after getting shut out by the Dolphins 30 to nothing. Yes, that is a real final score. And guess what? The Dolphins didn't even have Tyreek Hill there. So imagine if Hill was actually playing in the entire game. Nobody could ever score 70, could they? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wait, I think that that, (laughs) maybe. But the Jets are in a very dark place right now. They are 5-9 and after Sunday's loss and also eliminated them from playoff contention for the 13th year in a row. So it felt like last week, Salah maybe had his job secured for a little bit. But guys, now after this type of loss, is Salah in the hot seat? I think he has to be considered on the hot seat, even though the quarterback got hurt. It's unfortunate because the quarterback is such a, obviously the most critical part of your team. Your star quarterback that you went out and and traded for comes in, only plays four snaps, is out for the year. And you got a group of guys that are are unable to lead that franchise in a direction and, and lead them to wins. And so... It's tough that you're put in that position. I personally wouldn't want to see uh, Sala fire because I think having a quarterback, he needs to have that guy at least one year. <laughs> Give him one of the guys that he can he can hang his hat on and say, at least that part of the team is okay. Yeah. Um, but he hasn't had that in his tenure there, and that's that's a tough way to go about winning and and. and being a head coach in the NFL. And also, we can just go ahead and say, there's no way that Aaron Rodgers is going to play no, the rest of this year. He he's not. supposed well, to be not, cleared this week, yeah. and so he said there's he, no point. He wouldn't play if they were not going to make the playoffs, if they didn't have a playoff chance. And so, so now that down. they've been eliminated, he won't play. So this is probably best case scenario for Aaron Rodgers, because we were talking yeah. about that, wondering who's going to tell Aaron Rodgers no. No, you can't play. Now you don't have to worry about that anymore. And maybe if you do give Sala a chance with the quarterback that he was originally supposed to have, things could be different here, but... But that's such a bad loss 
that's just not a lo- good look for the organization. No. It's time. Fourth down. And guys, I always love the late window games because they're so highly competitive. It's a game of the week every week. And that was the case yesterday. How about them, Cowboys? Yeah! <laughs> okay, maybe not. not. Maybe not. Maybe. Did they, did they not make it to Buffalo? Did no, they, they not? They, they, they did. were 21 to 3. I, I think maybe their lines um, may have decided to stay in oh, Dallas. Okay. Uh, the Buffalo Bills only dropped back to pass. The Buffalo Bills. Dropped back to pass 15 times and handed the ball off 49. The Buffalo Bills handed the ball off 49 times for 266 yards. The Buffalo Bills offensive line hammered the Cowboys defensive line, and the Buffalo Bills defensive line hammered the Cowboys offensive line. You know what? To play in the playoffs, we talked earlier about the Niners and the Ravens. What do they have in common? They're physical and they will beat you up. They'll bully you. The Cowboys got bullied by the Buffalo Bills. And and this makes it, that's the second time we can say that they got bullied because they got bullied against the 49ers Mm -hmm. as well. And so when you're looking at a team and, and trying to figure out how to uh, envision them in the playoffs. This is what playoff football is. And I think the Buffalo Bills have figured something out. I've said this all year long. I've really said this for the last couple of years. If you can limit Josh Allen's mistakes, decide to hand the ball off to the running backs in the backfield. They had Devin Singletary the last few years, and now they got James Cook. If you hand the ball off to these guys and allow them to be your lead runners instead of Josh Allen, you might be working with something. And they figured that out yesterday, and they did. They took it to the Dallas Cowboys and said, we're we're better than you mm-hmm. are. Stop it if you can. And they could not. Uh, and I, first of all, Cowboys are now 3-4 and four on the road, 5-0 and oh at home. I I don't see the Cowboys going on the road and winning playoff games. No. no, how can you? Yeah, it's especially if it's going to be this type of playoff game. Again, football weather. I told you, when the weather starts to get cold, it was cool this morning. It was cold this morning. When the weather changes and it starts to get cold and the the the, the temperatures dropping and snow is falling, hand the ball off to the running back. Let those big boys up front go forward and. If you can't stop it, you're going to have a long offseason. And oh, by the way, this is part of the dumbing down of the football fo- football fan of America. It's it's not the football fan's fault. It's ESPN's fault. Because I guarantee you today, if you watch the shows on ESPN National, they're going to blame Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott had nothing to do with that loss. That was all about the offensive line and the defensive line not being able to do what they needed to do. Uh, Prescott sacked three times, pressured relentlessly throughout the day. And the big thing was... They just couldn't hang on to the football. 266 yards rushing for Buffalo. So uh, good good for the Bills. I'm glad to see it. I was a big Bills fan yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we know. You love the Cowboys falling apart like that because of who's in charge, and that is Jerry Jones. The Bills, day. though, talking about them being in play, playoff contention, so they're currently slotted ninth in the AFC, just right outside of playoff contention. They feel like a real threat, though. They could win that division. Because if Miami loses a game and Buffalo, let me get you Buffalo's last three. Buffalo could easily win out. Okay, so they've got uh, at the Chargers, home against the Patriots, at the Dolphins. If the Dolphins lose one of their next two games and they are against, get the Dolphins schedule here. If they lose one of the next two against the Cowboys or, uh, yeah, the Cowboys or the Ravens. If, if Miami loses one of those and Buffalo wins out, Buffalo wins the division. Well, uh, yeah, that I don't think I don't think I think that Miami's going to win that AFC East. I think they're going to continue. They they play really well without 
their best player MVP candidate yesterday, and 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 he's going to be better for it next week. He could have gone if it was a playoff game. Tyreek Hill would have played. But they have to play at Baltimore. I, I, I still and I think Baltimore is the best team in the league, so I I, I think that won't be an issue for Baltimore, um, but it will be an issue for Miami. So I see what you're saying. I just think that they are going to end up winning that division. I think they're the better team, and they have been throughout the year. I want to get to one quick point. James Cook had more yards total offense than the Dallas Cowboys did as a team. Oh my god! So you're going to probably lose that game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If one player has more offensive yards than your entire team. Yep. Uh, all right. That is four downs from the NFL. Coming up, what we love from the weekend. We promise. Next on 101 ESPN. <laughs> You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. <laughs> What we loved about the weekend on 101 ESPN. Brooke Grimsley, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker. Brooke, what do you got? Number two. My number two thing is going to be Jordan Cairo getting cheers from the fans. And there you go. Yes, he got some cheers from fans. And rightfully so, because the fans here in St. Louis, as we know, are very appreciative, and they pay attention to things. So when he got the booze, I believe it was even bigger than the whole Craig Bruby message. I think that it's also seeing the effort that was put in going up to that firing, right? So the fans will always love you here, always cheer you on, as long as you're putting out 100% effort every single night and showing that passion out there on the ice. I think that this was a great turnaround, hopefully a huge learning lesson for Jordan Cairo that he understands that fans do appreciate him as long as he's doing that I, I think it was a it, it was a learning lesson right you mm-hmm. you went through that you said something that may have been taken out of context maybe that's not how you meant it but you can see how it was perceived and you realized oh you know oh crap I made the wrong statements I need to correct that came back later that night and, and said it in, in, a, in a much better more professional way and then responded in a professional way with your game and, and yes. at the end of the day you can say a lot of things, but your game is always going to speak volumes. And when you're giving great effort, when you're scoring goal, goals and, and having assists, then fans will be more likely to cheer for you than boo you. And so he he figured it out quickly. And can't say anything else about him. He can you can say he he figures things out pretty quickly and understood how that message was uh, portrayed and, and got it corrected. And now those two have a, a loving, nurturing relationship. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. My number two, I, I was, I, you know, this this NFC South is a, it, it's a it's a beast. It, it's hard to win, and then not really. They, those teams stink. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Baker Mayfield, I, my good friend Anthony Stalter likes to call him Shaky Bakey. Mm-hmm. I think Shaky Bakey <laughs> is 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 a, is a tough nickname to have. Mm-hmm. But Baker Mayfield threw for 381 yards and four touchdowns in Lambeau Field versus the Green Bay Packers. Again, not a great team, but a storied franchise. This team in Baker Mayfield and what he has done and kind of resurrecting his career from what he was in Cleveland, taking the Browns to a playoff game and then being shuffled around from L.A. to Carolina to now finding a home in Tampa. Uh, I, I get excited when I see guys that, you know, may become have become journeymen and get an opportunity to have success. He's doing a great job in, in Tampa and they are winning games and probably they should win that division because, again, it's a terrible division. And apparently his teammates really like <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's got physical skills. He just has not been in the right place at the right time. Yes. It's tough. That's the one thing about 
professional sports mm-hmm. is finding a place where your talents align with all of the things that are going on in that organization. And sometimes you can be extremely talented and be in a terrible situation, and there's no way for you to succeed. I think Justin Fields would, would uh, attest to that. And then sometimes you're in a great situation and you become the superstar that you're supposed to be. I don't know that Baker will become a superstar, but I think he can be you know, a really good quarterback for some years. Kerry, were you uh, – for this is my number two. Were you watching TV late on Saturday afternoon? with your Pittsburgh Steelers? I, no, no. Okay, because I, I, I thought I if you were watching, channel. it must have been the essence, the total essence of mixed emotions because Kerry's Pittsburgh Steelers are playing and the Indianapolis Colts take over with 314 left in the third quarter. Trey Sermon left guard for four. Trey, this is uh, their the play-by-play. <laughs> Trey Sermon left guard for four. Trey Sermon left end for five. Uh, Trey Sermon right tackle for nine. Trey Sermon right guard for seven. Trey Sermon left end for one. Trey Sermon up the middle for 19. Goodson up the middle for one. Goodson right tackle for 10. Sermon up the middle for minus one. Sermon right guard for six. Sermon up the middle for five. Sermon left guard for two. Goodson left tackle for two. 13 consecutive <laughs> running plays by the Indianapolis Colts against the Steelers. As much as you hate it happening to Pittsburgh, that's Kerry Davis football Kerry, right yeah. there. That is when you break a team's will and spirit. If I can run the ball, if I can tell you I'm going to run this ball this way, that way, and you're not going to stop it, you got no chance, man. And and Pittsburgh has been hanging. That defense has been keeping them in games, has been winning them games this season. Um, but there is only so much you can do when you're on the field that much, when your offense is in, uh, unable to to put points on the board or, or sustain drives. You're going to have a long, long game. And that drive right there is, uh, is, is definitely a snapshot of what the season has been like when your offense is unable to score. 15 plays, 76 yards, 8 57 off the clock yes. in the third quarter into the fourth. I was yes. listening to the Colts Indeed. broadcast and Coach Venturi was giddy. He, said, he was saying, this is like what I played in the 70s. <laughs> 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 it was unbelievable. Number one. My number one is that I finally played pickleball this weekend yeah. for the first time. Yeah. Oh, you, you made this challenge without ever having played. You said, okay, the, the, the opening driving is going like to be there. Yeah, maybe a little okay, cocky of me. Considering I play tennis my whole life, I kind of thought I should be decent at this with the hand-eye coordination. And so a couple of girlfriends of mine and I went out to Chicken and Pickle out in St. Charles this past weekend. If you guys haven't been out there, it's a lot of fun. And I went in just with no expectations because I'm like, okay, I can't be too cocky getting into this. Yes, I played tennis my whole life, but who knows? This is a paddle, not a racket. I did experience phantom racket a couple of times, which <laughs> was a very that? humbling experience. What is that? Well, it because feels like it's, it's more? I'm used to the racket being okay. longer, and then obviously it's a paddle. So, okay. But then once I got the hang of it, then it was just two on one. So it was me versus the other two girls, and then we brought another guy in who was playing on the court next to us for a little bit. And at first, I was like, okay, okay, I'm getting the hang of this now. And we were doing a little bit back and forth because that's what you want to do, right? You want to have a nice back yes. and forth. But then I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna <laughs> win. Because at the end of the day, it's about winning. And, you know, of course you want to have a nice little volley back and forth. No, I want to just smack it really hard and yes. win the point. And that's so I enjoyed it so much. I didn't know how I'd feel about pickleball at first, but I'm in love with it. And you guys might see me out there just about every single weekend now. I was like telling I my friends this. after I was like, so we want to do this next weekend? What wanna, about the next weekend? I want to try it out. I want to see what it, uh, 
Well, is there it's any? Fun. Is there any? Uh, is it? Is it a lot of running movement or not really that much? Um, it's not as bad as tennis because okay. obviously the tennis court's a lot bigger, so yes. it's like a condensed version okay. of a tennis court. There was some time, CD. You know my ankles pop all the time. <laughs> yes. There was some times where I was running around and I, I was like, oh, my ankles cannot handle this as much anymore. <laughs> so Brooke is just getting warmed up, and then all of a sudden, I'm very competitive, guys. <laughs> very competitive. I'm very competitive. So then what? <laughs> <laughs> Brooke is not there for the fun. Trust me. No. Brooke is there to win. The fun of winning. The fun of winning. It's not fun if you're losing. <laughs> All right. My number two, I went to the Deluxe Power 100 Gala this weekend. Our friend Michael Claiborne was uh, awarded the Distinguished Honoree for his career in uh, sports and sport broadcasting. And it was just a great event. Had a great time. Saw a lot of for- friends and, and people that I hadn't seen in, in some years. So it was fun. I had a great time and got to wear a tuxedo and awesome. got outside. Nice. Good. Good, good for Klaibs, too. Yes. Good. Uh, guys, my number one, I am a Billiken season ticket holder, and I love the joy with which Terrence Hargrove plays basketball. He just, whether he's on the bench or in the game, he plays with extraordinary joy. And Billikens were down three with seven seconds left. Hargrove comes down the court, boom, hits a three-pointer, ties the game. Right after that three-pointer, Gibson Jimmerman, uh, big game, Gibby Jim, uh, Gib- Gibson Jimmerman uh, took a foul. And so uh, the the opponent, Louisiana Tech, hits both free throws. They're up 74-72. Who gets the ball and rushes down the court with five seconds left on the clock? It's Terrence Hargrove Jr. At the buzzer, boom, three-pointer to win the game. He scored 11 points in the last 28 seconds, including six points in the last seven seconds to give the Billikens the win. And you could not have had a better scene than all the Billikens running on the court to mob Terrence Hargrove Jr. It was awesome, and it was really cool to see that uh, this guy, of all guys, East St. Louis, and stayed at SLU and Mm -hmm. loyal to the program, gave them that victory over La Tech. It was very cool. You won't see somebody score 11 points in the final 28 seconds of a game to win it ever probably again like that just doesn't happen very often didn't in Reggie basketball. Miller do that? Yeah, Reggie yeah, Miller did that like Tracy McGrady I'm saying, I'm saying Reggie Miller did that late 90s Tracy McGrady did that middle 2000s Terrence Hargrove did that 2023 I'm saying it doesn't happen very often I was not I, I wasn't able to watch the other two live I was watching that one live that was pretty special watching what he was able to do yeah. he came in, he came into the 30 second mark with two points yep. finished the game with 13 yeah that's ridiculous fantastic it was so much fun and he's a, a really good kid and so congratulations to uh, T.J. Hargrove and the Billikens, who improved to 7-5 on the season with their 75-74 win over La Tech. That's what we loved about the weekend here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO. Take it or leave it coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, set it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646. And give us your take it or leave it. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Brooke 
Lee and Super Bowl champ Gary Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. Matthew Rocchio is here, and it's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO. And oh, by the way, if you aren't watching us on YouTube, you should be on our Air Alliance team studio cam. Just go to YouTube and type in 101 ESPN STL, and you can watch us as we bring you the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Kids, by the end of this calendar year, the Blues are going to play Tampa Bay tomorrow, and then on Thursday, they're at Florida, Stanley Cup finalists from last year. Then they have the Blackhawks. They've got Dallas here again, Colorado here, and then they go to Pittsburgh. Those six games, Tampa, Florida, Chicago, Dallas, Colorado, Pittsburgh. Take it or leave it, the Blues get 50% 50% of the, the available points. Ooh. 50%? Yep. And the Thank only you. easy mark really is Chicago. And that's not an easy mark for the Blues. <laughs> At least it wasn't under Craig Barabay. I'm going to take it. <laughs> hopefully they can. Barabay. <laughs> I'm going to take it and hope that they can continue to ride this high of uh, a new coach and understanding the mm-hmm. fires being lit up under him. Let's see if that, that works for him. I'm going to take it, too, just because this is the Jordan Cairo redemption tour. So if he continues to stay on a mission and try to prove people, then that should be beneficial for the Blues. Hashtag LGB. Yeah. yeah. Go yes. Stanley Tucci. <laughs> Go <laughs> so Stanley we see every week, uh, well, we see every year new rules are implemented and, and some rules are, are discussed in the offseason. Take it or leave it. They should discuss uh, giving a sack. A sack should be awarded to a player when intentional grounding is called. Oh, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, mm. take it. Yeah, I'll I take hate that. that they just, the, the quarterback can get rid of the ball. He's going to get sacked. Mm-hmm. It's intentional grounding. You should be awarded a sack for that. Right, because you lose the yardage in the down anyway. And right? you lose money by not having enough sacks on your stats. That's true. There you go. I, I like that one a lot, actually. So this weekend, if you guys saw, uh, Patrick Holmes is still pretty upset at his receiver, Kadarius Tony. Take it or leave it. Tony's going to be gone by the end of the season. I'm going to leave that. I'll he leave won't be going by the end of the season, okay, but he won't be end. back. When yeah. the season ends, yeah, like then it's going to happen pretty February quickly afterwards. Third. What day is the NFL? What day is the Super Bowl? Yeah, February like, 5th. Whenever they can, whenever the new year starts, he won't be on the roster with them. What if he does what he did in last year's Super Bowl? I don't think it, I don't think it matters. 65-yard punt return and the game-winning touchdown? I no? think, I mean... Every time you turn on the TV, he's dropping a pass. I know. Randy. I know. Well, and especially, <laughs> did you see Patrick well, Mahomes this him weekend? In the playoffs, then. Hey, that's the case. Yeah. yeah. And with Patrick Mahomes, I mean, it feels like he's tried to give him as many opportunities as possible. That trust is broken at this point, totally. right? Yeah, at this point. But all it takes I mean, is one who play. Is he gonna throw? I mean, he can throw it to Rasheed Rice and, and Travis Kelsey because MBS is going to drop passes. Yep. Kadarius is going to drop passes. Uh, Sky Moore. Sky Moore yeah. going to drop passes. They, they are. Justin Watson doesn't drop passes. Yeah, you got to throw it to him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, uh, Matthew, what do you got on the old text line? Take it or leave it. It's time for the Steelers to move on from Tomlin. Leave it. And then for him to take the Patriots job. Leave that. Oh. Leave it. I kind of like wait. that. Time out. I kind of like that. Uh, no. <laughs> I kind of like that. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, No. <laughs> Uh, he needs to overhaul his offensive staff and probably get himself a quarterback. But no, it, there's been too much winning. He's never had a losing season. Yeah. So you don't move on from a, a football coach who's never had a losing season yeah, you, until you, he has multiple losing seasons, and he's bad. Because there are a lot of coaches, a lot of a lot of programs in the NFL that would love to have Mike Tomlin as their head coach. Mm-hmm. So 
carry since we're changing stats take it or leave it a ball off a receiver's hands that's clearly the receiver's fault should be an interception on the receiver not the quarterback ah, that's too much i'm gonna leave that it's a team game yeah. I mean, you, you got to trust your guys to catch the ball. Kadarius, Tony, I, I told you all my, my, my story, Kirk Kidner had not thrown an interception in I don't know how many passes, uh, and I was running a route, Texas route, go out, come back in, and threw it to me, popped off my hands, interception. And Coach Turner said, if we ever call that play in the game and carries in, call the timeout. Don't run it. <laughs> Don't ever run it again with him in the game. All right, man, I get it. It was a mistake. I won't let it happen again. Sorry. It's amazing. Oh, My bad. <laughs> Sorry, Kurt. Ruined your streak. <laughs> it was going to end anyway. At some it was point. Gonna end. Take it or leave it. If MVP really means most valuable player, then Lamar Jackson should win it every year, especially this year. He should definitely be uh, talked about because of their team being, in my opinion, the best team in the NFL. Uh, all that he does for that team, he's got 3,000 yards passing, 700 yards rushing, and just he does a fantastic job and doesn't have his his number one receiver. Mark Andrews has been out mm-hmm. for, I want to say, seven or eight weeks now because of, of, of an injury. So, yeah, you, you definitely need to look at Lamar and, and put him in that conversation. And the fact that he's not – uh, is is mind boggling. But if you, it is ridiculous, and he yeah. should, by the way, be in that conversation today. Uh, Dak Prescott should probably take a hit. But if we're going to just use the term valuable, valuable to your team, the Niners are eleven and zero with Debo Samuel playing and zero and three without him. Mm. Yeah, but you could say the same. Yeah, but, Trent Williams yeah, but, is also no. A huge... Williams played ninety seven percent of the snaps in the game that he got hurt in. Did he? Yeah. Okay. Well, he got hurt at the end. I still think that 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 I, I can't give it to Debo. I just I think he's done a great job. I think he's great. But you can't give it to Tyreek Hill. I can. It's, it looks different. It just, it looks different. Like yeah, when well, I watch I, I'm when looking I watch at, I'm Tyreek, looking at the W's and the L's. Yeah, they, they, well Miami got a lot of W's too. Thirty so, to nothing yesterday without Tyreek. They still have a lot of W's. They do. So I, I'm just looking at value. And it, it was just, also the Jets. I'm just I mean, using not the, like, the term valuable. It's not like the Jets. How, how are could you a, be more valuable than undefeated with winless without? Yeah, I agree. But. but what about Christian McCaffrey in that conversation? So right now, with the NFL MVP odds, Brock Purdy is leading the way, and so is Christian McCaffrey. I, I would vote for McCaffrey to be the MVP of the league. I don't know. It, in my opinion, it shouldn't be a quarterback this year. There has not been a quarterback that has stood out to the to the level of MVP this mm-hmm. season. I think you have some position players, like you said, Debo, Tyreek, Christian McCaffrey, who have done outstanding jobs this season. And it does not have to necessarily go to a quarterback because a quarterback in my opinion, has not been stellar enough to receive it this year. So right now, the odds, Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts. This is from last week. This is what it looks like. Hasn't been updated fully yet. Then Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I, and the odds can change a lot. I'm sure they've been they, changing all oh yeah, season. Day to day, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if... What, I mean, what if Hurts is it doesn't play on uh, tonight, and then they, yeah. the Eagles still get a win? I'm like, what would that, what would that do to the odds? Yeah. Um, Marcus Mariotto. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Man, your guy might play tonight, bro. Yeah. Carrie, they're moving your boy around. Uh, take it or leave it. Mike Tomlin would look really good in San Diego with Justin Herbert. Oh, man. Yeah, I couldn't a real see defensive Mike coach. In, in, in anywhere but Pittsburgh. I mean, <laughs> that's a person. I, I just, I mean. Gold colored glasses. Yeah, it might be. I would have to find a franchise. And the San Diego, uh, San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers are not the the, uh, the 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 franchise for him to go to. No. Nor is New England. Um, 
I don't know where Mike T would He fit. belongs in Pittsburgh. He belongs in if, Pittsburgh. If he's not in Pittsburgh, he's from Hampton, Virginia, maybe Washington with the new ownership there. Uh, but, uh, no, he, he should be in Pittsburgh. He should, that's the only yeah, place he should be. Yeah, I, I really couldn't see him. I mean, he, he coached in Tampa, so there was a there's some connection there. I, yeah. I, yeah, it's just, it's Pittsburgh. Leave him, leave him alone. He's doing well. What yeah. are we talking about? I am intrigued to wonder, though, what they'll do offensively. Because I think they need a, a makeover offensively. It, it's, it's Offensively, it is about the accountability. It, it's guys making a decision every single day to buy in. They they got to fix the offensive line, I think. I think they still mm-hmm. need some more help there. I'm, I'm still not ready to give up on Kenny Pickett just yet. I still want to see more uh, because he does have some some guys around him, and I want to see him in a full year with, a, with an offensive coordinator that puts him in good situations, an offensive line that puts their hand in the dirt and goes forward like what the, the Colts did to them on Saturday mm-hmm. yeah. and be able to have success that way. Here, this is coming from a texter. This is not coming from me. Oh, here we go. Take it or leave it. Mike Tomlin has been a coach for 17 years and only has four seasons with playoff wins. Take it or leave it. Any other coach would have been fired by now. Well, he's not any other coach, so leave it. What are we talking about? <laughs> don't get mad at us because your franchise doesn't have six Super Bowls. What do we? Th- we don't ah. fire coaches in Pittsburgh. Your friend, I don't know who you root for, but I'm sure in the the 30 years that Bill Cowher and Mike Tomlin have been head coaches, your your team probably has had at least eight coaches. I don't know who that team is, but I'm sure that's the number. Don't get mad at Pittsburgh because we uh, provide stability for our head coaches, which also leads to success. I'm sorry that you are in shambles with your team. But here in Pittsburgh, we understand family. And I'm sure, when did Chuck Noll get hired? What year was that? 1970. 1970. So how many years is that? 50, 50... Four, 53, 53 years? Four. 53 years. Four, yeah, your franchise probably has had 25 coaches in 53 years. So, you know, 20 at least. If you're the Browns, you probably had 40. I don't know. I don't, know, doing? I don't know why this entire time I was just picturing the opening scene of Friday Night Lights where the guy's in the truck and he just holds out his ring and just goes, go get you one of these. Go get you one. <laughs> we got six of them. That's, that's so good. Yeah. Go get you one of these, boys. It is hard to win playoff games if you aren't in the playoffs. It, I mean, it is. We know that here in St. Louis, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> kind of the, the, the criteria to win a championship, you got to make it to the mm-hmm. tournament. Can't yeah. leap ahead. Nah. No. You, can't, no. you can't do like what they do in soccer and give you the cup <laughs> for being the season's winner. Yeah. It's not great. In the season here, we won all the games. No, 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 no. <laughs> you got to play tournament. Yep. Playoffs matter. Nope. Yep. Just be good for the entire season. Yep. Don't, and, and, and sometimes you can even just, you know, lose to all the good teams and just somehow just beat all the bad teams and snake by. Is that it? That's it. That's it. Okay, coming up next year on 101 ESPN on our fresh take. Are the Cardinals done with pitching transactions for this offseason? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the opening drive's fresh take. All right, interesting viewpoints of what the Cardinals are going to do with their pitching staff. And 
there are, are those out there that believe that the Cardinals would still be willing to make a trade. Even John Mozeliak said yesterday on uh, on KMOX that uh, the Cardinals would not be averse to making a trade if one stepped up for them. But Katie Wu in The Athletic writes, the payment, and this is in regards to Sonny Gray's contract, negotiated by Mozeliak, allows for more financial flexibility this winter, something deemed crucial as the Cardinals continue to revamp their pitching staff. And... Uh, that money, with the Tyler O'Neill $6 million coming off the book, would seem to be available for a bullpen arm. However, Mo said yesterday on Sports on a Sunday Morning on KMOX with Tom Ackerman, he said, quote, We actually like our bullpen. I think that Helsley, Gallegos, and Romero are a pretty good way to finish a game, and they give you some flexibility. I do feel like Gallegos did not have the year he hoped last year, but I think ending the season on the IL gave him additional time to rest. So what do you take out of that? The Cardinals have extra money to spend, but he also says we actually like our bullpen. Are they saving dry powder for the trade deadline so that if they need an arm, they can go get it? Or would you expect that he's just kind of playing possum and talking to agents as much as anybody else when he says we like our bullpen? It's hard to understand or even figure out, right? Because we like to play our favorite game of trying to figure out what Mosellock said versus what he really meant. (laughs) And so it's hard to read what exactly is going on. I do believe him in some aspects of I think that this is it. We've talked about this, right? Where this is pretty much going to be the moves for the Cardinals this offseason unless an opportunity arises that it would be too hard to pass up. And there are still guys available. But it's interesting to me that he didn't exactly close the door on adding another starting pitcher. So it sounds like they could be open to adding that, but they're not exactly looking to do that right now unless that perfect opportunity comes up for them to be able to acquire another starting pitcher. I am surprised that there wouldn't be any more relievers added because I feel like, okay, if you're not going to add a starting pitcher, then you should probably just have another insurance arm in your pen because why not? And it seems like there's a million bullpen arms out there. Yes, there is. A veteran, <laughs> yes. uh, a veteran bullpen arm is always a valuable commodity, I think. Who, and when we're talking about, you talk about JoJo, you talked about Gallegos and Halesley. Um, is there anybody, John King, I think we said is mm-hmm. probably John. in that, John King is probably in that bullpen. Um, and then maybe one of these potential starters, whether it be Steven Matz or, or, or one of these guys that are uh, not the fifth starter, you slide them into the bullpen. Other than that, it, maybe they're comfortable because they think that a Tink Hintz or Graceffo or, or McGreevy are going to be able to come up and help out in some way in the bullpen, which, again, I think would be a, a great idea. I, I don't know that – I mean, the Cardinals did more than most teams this, this offseason, mm-hmm. right, this free agency period. But I think the question that still lingers on a lot of Cardinal fans' mind is did they do enough? I think they did more than than pretty much. Well, the Dodgers are doing a lot now, mm-hmm. but they did more than a lot of teams. Have they done enough to be a better team for 2024? Because last year, 91 losses is uh is not going to cut it. No, and I think they need a legitimate number one starter. That's uh, I'm very happy, especially because they pursued innings. If they're willing to allow those pitchers to give them innings, then those are all good signings. Gray, Lynn. 
Kyle Gibson. You have Mats, you have Michaelis. So you, you've got a group of guys that can give you innings, but you don't have a guy that provides you win day. Every time that he takes them out, you're, you've got a three-game losing streak, and you say, okay, this guy is going to stop a losing streak. They don't have that guy, and they really don't have an experienced closer. But the Cardinals, one of the things that we, we need to recognize about the Cardinals when they've been in World Series and won championships, 06, it was Adam Wainwright, a rookie, right, in uh, – 13, it was uh, Edward Mujica getting replaced by Rosenthal. In 2011, it was Jason Mott at the end of the year. Very rarely have the Cardinals, when they've been to the World Series, had the same closer at the beginning of the year that they've had at the end of the year. And more times than not, it's a young guy that is pitching out of the bullpen in the ninth inning for them in the playoffs. So I'm not really worried about the back end of the bullpen. Well, and I think that's what we're all waiting on with the starting rotation is, okay, they'll make a trade to be able to get that guy, right? And it's no secret that everybody in this room is a huge fan of looking at Dylan Cease. And I know some people will bring up his numbers with the White Sox. The White Sox were a complete disaster last year. He needs a change of scenery. What do you think, though, is more likely the case when it comes to the Cardinals? And let's just say a theoretical trade with with Dylan Cease. Do you think it's that the Cardinals don't want to part with some of their prospects, which is what we know that the White Sox want, or do we think that the value is maybe... We we see the value in our top prospects, but other teams do not. We'll know more, I believe, when he does get traded, and I would be surprised if he didn't get traded. I would think that the Cardinals are reluctant to move on from their young players, especially... Nolan Gorman, who they think is a 40-home run guy and provides left-handed pop, and left-handed pop is important once you get to the postseason. But it's more important to have a number one starter. And my guess would be that the Cardinals probably are unwilling to part with 25-year-old, majorly-ready performers like that. I mean, it's a a tough thing to try to figure out, right? Do you put more value into the pitching ability of, of a Dylan Cease or the hitting ability of a Nolan Gorman and what he can be. And I think that's the frustration, you know, and, and you have a little bit of hesitancy when you're the Cardinals, when you have guys that you have traded away that have gone on to have great success. Mm-hmm. That leads you to be, you know, a little bit more hesitant to make those moves, even though it, it when those moves were made for the Cardinals, they made the moves to help the roster that they had currently. And what happened in the future was not – could not have been on that on their minds in terms of four or five years down the road. You're thinking more one, two years in the present. Um, and but I think if you are in this business of of willing and dealing, and and you know that this team cannot have a year like it had last year. If the question comes up of whether or not to trade a, a Nolan Gorman for a Dylan Cease, I think you have to make that trade because again, pitching is what's going to help you win playoff games and win championships. And that's not going away either, right, after this season? Because we know the contracts. We know what you have with Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson and the ages. We've talked about the ages of the starting rotation. You have to have some younger arms that are ready. And hopefully Gordon Graceffo and Michael McGreevy can take that next step and we will likely hopefully see them some this coming season. But then that's a gamble in itself, right? Yeah. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. And so you're going to be in this constant off season kind of situation looking for starting pitching over and over again until you get a player or a pitcher like Dylan Cease that can give you at least a little bit more security in your starting rotation. Are you guys comfortable with Palante being part of the bullpen? He's, he's He's a young player. I would hope that, you know, there was some some growth from last season into this season. So I'm not going to to, to cast him away just yet. I think I would like to see what he does in spring training. If he has a, but he could be one of those guys that are on the bubble. 
if he doesn't have a good spring training, then he might not make the team. But if he if he does, then he'll be here and, and be a part of the roster and, and help out. Okay, you're going to have, have an eight-man bullpen, and you're going to have three left-handers, probably Romero, Thompson, and Zhang King. Right-handers, you've got Helsley and Gallegos in pen. And then Palante, Hentz, Graceffo, Fernandez, who they got in the Tyler O'Neill trade, O'Brien, whom they got from Seattle in a trade. They like some of the things that those guys bring. And some of the young players that you got last year at the deadline, um, maybe a, a Kloffenstein, uh, maybe a Robertson. I don't, I'm not sure. But it, it sure seems like, my, my point here, there's a spot for a veteran right-handed reliever. That's what I'm thinking. And by the way, just I don't know if you saw the reports this weekend. Somebody texted this in, and this did happen. A Japanese reliever, Yuki Matsui, visited St. Mm-hmm. Louis here recently. He's 28 years old, um, has performed really well over in Japan, so that could possibly be an option to add. Sure. And th- that w- there's no such thing as making a bad pitching addition. Mm-hmm. It, it would be a good thing. I would just like to have a guy just watching from afar and talking to relievers that have pitched for winning teams, championship teams. I believe it makes a difference to have a guy down there that takes a leadership role in the bullpen. And I, the Cardinals just don't have that pitcher right now. And I think you get a guy that's pitched for Atlanta or Houston or one of the teams that's consistently been there and been successful for them. Those players are incredibly valuable, even if they aren't the guys that put up the the huge numbers. It's amazing to talk to guys from that 06 team about how valuable a guy like Russ Springer was. What a, what about a Josh Hader? That's a different they animal. Spend money. Yeah, I, I would I would love to have Josh Hader on my team, but I don't think that's not who I'm talking about. I'm not yeah. talking about a, a big money guy. I would love to have him, but I don't think the Cardinals will go there. I'm talking about the guy that you signed to a two year contract for eight million dollars. And he is as much leader as he is pitcher. Mm. I would like to have that guy. And by the way, when you look at what the Cardinals have now throughout their rotation, Sonny Gray's pitched in the playoffs, never pitched in the World Series. Gibson's pitched in the playoffs, never pitched in the World Series. Lynn has pitched in the World Series. Um, Mats, yes, with the, the Mets. But you, again, you just don't have that guy where you say, hmm, that's the guy that the other team doesn't want to see. We, I don't think the Cardinals have that guy that the other team doesn't want to see. Sonny Remember, Gray doesn't fit that bill? I don't think so. No, a guy He went 14-18 and 18 last year in his starts for Minnesota, an 87-win team. Uh, I, you know, Obviously, he, he can provide innings, and he provides a really nice element for the Cardinals. But is I'm talking about that win day guy. I'm talking about that Spencer Strider, that Zach Wheeler, that uh, that, that number one pitcher. That's That's all I think they're lacking at the moment. Yeah, they they definitely feel like they need to add anything. I think it's just very telling that I I'm, I'm just reading between the lines here or the tea leaves. It feels like they essentially feel like they have their insurance right for this whole pitching staff, and they feel good about it. And this could be the end of the offseason moves. Yeah, I think that, I would guess that that it probably is unless they they dip into the Asian market like we're talking about. Nothing. I just, I, I, again, I thought they, they did a lot in free agency, but I think that there's still one more, one more move left. It needs the cherry on top of the Sunday, yeah. well, right? Yeah. And Benji Molina has said that. Xavier, Xavier yes. Scruggs told us that. Uh, there, there are a lot of people that 
and pretty much everybody at, up at MLB Network in, in analyzing the Cardinals offseason agrees with that. But the Cardinals are happy, and the Cardinals have done a lot of winning over the years. So let's see if uh, what they've said and done in the past applies in 2024. Hope it does. Make it to the trade deadline, right? And yeah. by the way, the episode of the one-on-one on sports is on YouTube right now with Benji and Molina. And we talked about Yanni's return and what that will look like and what he's doing in Puerto Rico and having everything figured out with that so that he can eventually become a manager one day, whether with the Cardinals or with another team. And it's funny, Randy, that you mentioned the bullpen thing because Benji was really big on that during the episode of how he really thinks the Cardinals should address the bullpen more this offseason. All right. We'll be tuned in on our 101 ESPN YouTube channel. Coming up, we're going to talk with the voice of the Red Hot Blues, Chris Kerber, next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Time for Curbside with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite contractor. High of 44 here in St. Louis tomorrow, so it's going to get colder and colder and colder. And the Blues head to Florida. They play Tampa tomorrow night, and then they uh, play the Panthers on Thursday night. So uh, they'll be able to, at least during the day, when they're not skating, enjoy the nice, warm weather. Chris Kerber, your voice of the St. Louis Blues, joins us here on a Monday morning on 101 ESPN. Curbs, good morning. How was uh, Chicken and Pickle? Or chicken, not Chicken and Pickle. It is Chicken and Pickle. Chicken Chicken and Pickle, there we go. It is Chicken and Pickle. Yeah, how was Uh, it? Place is huge. (laughs) Yeah. I, I okay. I had never been to one. I know. I guess there's one in Kansas City, uh, a couple other places. Uh, it's fantastic. It's right right there in St. Charles, uh, just as you you cross the river and you, and you head on to Fifth Street. It's on the south side of the uh, of the highway there, uh, behind the AMC Theater. But I mean, it, even if you're not a pickleball player, I mean, it's just got the food was fantastic. The 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 space was great. They had a Sunday brunch. They did a uh, they've got. I mean, they've got like a life-size uh, battleship board, so they got games in different areas to do. I mean, they, it's it was actually qu- quite a pretty cool space, and, and and a hell of a lot of people showed up too. So, uh, big thanks to OJ Lachlan Plumbing Company for helping put that on. But it was a it was a fun few hours we had there. I just missed you because I played on Saturday. Do you play pickleball, Curbs? Nope, haven't started yet. Oh. Well, we got to get you going. We'll on get that. there. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get there. A couple injuries keep me off uh, pretty much anything but the buffet, so we'll be all right. <laughs> well, of course, Curtis, we have to talk to you about this stretch for the Blues here with back-to-back wins, especially with that overtime thriller against Dallas. But I just want to focus on the response from Jordan Cairo. What have you seen from here recently? And of course, it was great to see the cheers for him and that winner. Well, look. I- and people are talking about a response from Jordan Cairo, and it's. It, I don't know that it's so much a response from him. I just think that what we saw from him is what you can see from Jordan Cairo on a nightly basis, and the issue, if there's been one this year, is that it's been inconsistent. Now, I still think he's played his all-around best hockey in terms of conscientious offensive hockey, learning that aspect of the game. And I'm going to go back to something Joe Vitale said uh, a, a couple of months ago. There's going to be a stretch for a bit here where he, he wasn't going to be surprising if some of Jordan Cairo's numbers were down. And that's because you could see he was clearly focusing on what he was being asked to do in terms of becoming a better all-around 200-foot player. 
uh, and, and in time, he'll figure out how to get it all together. But a 77-point player, a 72-point player that's minus 39 uh, doesn't do as much for you as a 60-point player that's plus 15 or plus 20, right? So, you know, that I think you got to look at it like that. Now, what I think you did see, though, was you saw, obviously, on, on Thursday night, an upset player that didn't realize the impact of what he had said. Uh, but still faced the music very well. And then he came out, and the timing of, of having a great game was just spectacular. So um, from that aspect of it, you're happy for him. And I said this on, on the uh, the Curbside podcast, too. Listen, I, I applaud the fans a lot here. Uh, I, I don't I don't blame them for what they, you know, they're, they're expressing their feelings on Thursday night. And then I'd also thought that they, they had, I think the fans had a better response maybe than Jordan Cairo when they recognized it as well. And then they said, okay, yeah, we got on you, but we got your back because you're our guy. And I, I thought it was fantastic. So, and, and all around great night. And I was happy to see Jordan have a big night. Curbs, only a couple of games in, but what, if any, differences have you seen uh, in this team under Drew Bannister in comparison to Craig Ruby? Uh, I, I think, you know, they're being asked to do the same thing. I think it's just, uh, you know, the, I think the shakeup probably, you know, causes a little more focus and a little more reality there. there there's a couple of things that jump. I think the pace in these first couple of games has been really good. The success of the power play, yep, like you said, small small two-game sample size there, but the success of the power play was absolutely enormous against the Dallas Stars on Saturday night. So we'll see if they can build on that one. You know, and then you know, there's something that, that we've seen him do, and that's that we're seeing uh, like pretty much every time that Thomas Butchnevich line is on the ice, we see Pareto and Letty coming over the boards with him. And it's an interesting uh, approach because you're thinking, okay, well, if we've got our top offensive line that could maybe take a few more risks offensively, we've got a really good shutdown defensive pairing right behind them uh, to defend if if bigger mistakes are made. And uh, I like what we've seen from that so far. So I I think all those are good things. Curbs, two games again, and and the team has been playing really well, but they have been inconsistent throughout the entire season. Is this effort and energy that they're playing with now, is that sustainable? Can we expect to see this team that that they are right now for the the future? Is it sustainable? Absolutely. Um, Will they sustain it? That's the great question. Mm. You know, I I, I do think that some of the habits – some of the some of the team game that had crept in that made you inconsistent, it takes a little while to flush that out. You know, I, I think, like, for example, against Ottawa, they made some of the same mistakes that they were making, but they made them against Ottawa and not the Colorado Avalanche, right, or the Vegas Golden Knights. So it doesn't maybe necessarily end up in the back of your net. It was a cleaner game on Saturday against Dallas. And this is the challenge that this team's going to have right now is they're playing this stretch of hockey – where they're playing a lot of teams. And, and when the stretch of, of hockey of 15 games started, even the Ottawa Senators were at 500. There were only two teams below 500. So now you're going to go down and you're going to play Tampa, who's battling for their playoff lives. And, of course, we know how good they can be, especially with Kucherov on home ice. And then you're going into Florida, and they're, they're third in their division. This is going to be uh, some tough hockey ahead, but they've shown with the game they played against the Dallas Stars what that game looks like if they're going to be successful. So is it sustainable? I think it absolutely is. I think what the one thing you got to be encouraged with is Saturday night is they fell down two to nothing and they didn't just fold up 10. 
they, they battled back and got the win, and, and that is something that we hadn't seen a lot of so far this year. Curbs, it would be unfair to try to compare Colton Pareko to the, the, the Victor Hedmans of the world, even when, when just the, the typical Norris Trophy winner. That being said, when I watch Colton Pareko play, it's hard for me to imagine that he can play better than he's played this year. Randy, how many times did his name come up in interviews and stuff we did last year? And I, you know, I was real adamant of, look, he's fine, right? Mm-hmm. Col- Colton Pareko is a six foot six defenseman that can skate. I still haven't seen a forward that can catch him when he starts to skate. Uh, and the game last year against Edmonton, when he skated up the ice and Drysaddle gave up trying to chase him down. <laughs> right. Uh, I just, I Colton Pareko, look. You go back and I, I spent some time studying his numbers here before the last game. In games where he's played, because on against the Ottawa Senators, he played twenty six thirty eight. I think in his career, and forgive me if this is off just by a, a number or two, because I don't have my notes in front of me on this, but he played thirty five games in his career in the regular season where he had played twenty six or more minutes, and the Blues had a record that was something like twelve games over five hundred with him doing that. And that's not a coincidence because he's that good of a defenseman. When you're good defenseman play that much, you're probably going to be fine. You had the stretch. You had COVID. Then you had a, he, he tried to play with two herniated discs in his back. Finally got through that. If you go back and you look for even power play time, he was on the power play. He was on a second power play unit when the Blues won the Stanley Cup. Right. He had power play time each of his first four years. That came to a grinding halt when the Blues signed Tory Krug. Go look at his shot attempts on the power play each of his first four years. He didn't have a lot of power play points, but 54 shot attempts, 72 shot attempts. And remember, we're talking about power play right now that doesn't shoot the puck much, right? You know, go, go look at what it was there. He, he can handle it. He can do it. Uh, he, there's Tarasenko's not on the ice right now to yell at him when he shoots the puck, right, <laughs> on the power play. Okay. This guy has a bigger game. I talked to Mike Van Ryan uh Early last season, ah, maybe it might have been the season before, and when we're getting a lot of questions on Colton, and I said, "Hey, am I missing something?" He goes, "Curbs, if he was on the power play, he'd he'd have fifty something points, and we'd be talking about one of the top defensemen in the league." He's it, it, and, and when I talked to Al McKinnis later on about him, he goes, "The moment we move a guy like that is the moment we're looking for a guy like that." And look at what he's doing this year: uh, healthy, the ice time, the focus on the play in front. Look, sometimes goals are going to go in against you. I I mean, you get it. That happens to everybody. But when Doug Armstrong said that uh, he's back to playing at a a Canadian Olympian level, I think you got to be really happy with uh, the game that he's brought this year. And, you know, at some point in time, I'd like to see him get back out on that power play and uh, and start ripping some shots. Curbs, I was just going to say, for the, the lack of success of this power play, I find it really curious that he hasn't gotten that opportunity on the power play. I find it, it, what's more curious about why he hasn't gotten that opportunity on the power play is the power play has struggled, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so you go back to two years ago and you had a top five power play and he wasn't one of the guys on it. You're not going to mess with that. But uh, it, it's different with no O'Reilly, no Perron and stuff. With the power play struggling, I was surprised that we just haven't seen him get that opportunity just to change it up a little bit, put him on the left circle with a one-time shot and, you know, and, and, and let it rip. So, uh, will it happen? I don't know. I'll tell you what, 26 minutes against Ottawa, no power play time was doggone impressive from a penalty kill and even strength time. But um, in, in some respects, maybe he develops into uh, more of that Jay Bolmeister, you know, kind of player. Uh, 
you know, that's already had more success in terms of the cup and stuff, but at an earlier age, but Colton Pareko is doing just fine. And, and I think he's going to continue to get opportunity uh, with Drew Bannister here. Curbs, enjoy the warm weather and we will not speak to you before Christmas. So have a Merry Christmas, you and your family. Yeah. You, you guys as well. Happy holidays to everybody. And, uh, just have have a safe, great week with schools getting out and enjoy the families. All right. Thanks, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you guys. See you. you got it. That is Chris Kerber. He is the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN by the way the Blues at Tampa tomorrow night and then at Florida to take on Matthew Kachuk and the Panthers on Thursday. And then Saturday, the 23rd, home against the hated Blackhawks. So mm-hmm. that, that'll be good. And yeah. then they're off until uh, the following Wednesday when they take on the Stars here in St. Louis. See how this uh, these couple of games go out of out of town and get back here against the Blackhawks. See what they do. Hashtag LGB. There you so. go. And Thomas. And Torpchenko. <laughs> yeah. And Torpchenko. <laughs> there we go. Uh, coming up, we've got the fight. Do you need a fighter, Matthew, or did uh, did I get beat on Friday? Uh, no, we need a fighter. <laughs> okay. Uh, the the text line is open. Did you, did you, did you, did you Friday? <laughs> Uh, th- what? <laughs> what? Three one four three nine 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 six four six three one four three nine nine. Yo ho! I want you to text in with the word "fight" in your name, and perhaps Matthew will pick you to fight me next on one hundred and one ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on one hundred and one ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Brooke Grimsley, and it is time for the fight. And our fighter today is Andy. Andy, how you doing? I'm good, Kerry. How are you? Doing well. Are you ready to take on Randy Carricker? As ready as I'll get. <laughs> All right, here we go. What is the earliest playoff round that Patrick Mahomes has been eliminated as a starter? Is it the wild card, divisional, or conference championship? I think it's the conference championship. Question number two, James Cook's 221 yards from scrimmage yesterday are the second most in franchise history behind only this undrafted running back. Is it Mike Sellers, Fred Jackson, or Dominic Rhodes? I'm going to say Rhodes. In each of the first three decades, post-merger Super Bowls, one conference won eight of the ten Super Bowls. The AFC in the 70s, and then the NFC across the 80s and 90s, which is the only AFC team to win a Super Bowl from 1980 to 1990? Is it the Dolphins, the Broncos, or the Raiders? From the 80s to the 90s? From 1980 to 1990. Okay, the Super Bowl or the playoff? Which, Which was the only AFC team to win a Super Bowl from 1980 to 1990? Okay. Can you repeat the, the answers again, Carrie? I'm sorry. No problem. Dolphins, Broncos, Raiders. Uh, I'll say Raiders. <laughs> it's a bad guess. But okay. <laughs> Final question. Christian McCaffrey has matched Marshall Falk across a number of stats and records, including scoring seven touchdowns against one team in a season. Which team did Marshall tag for seven scores in his record-setting 2000 season? Was it the 49ers? The Saints or the Falcons? All football. Really, all football. Um, (laughs) NFL. (laughs) I'll I'll go Saints. 
All right, we will double check our score. We will bring in Randy Carricker. Carrie, can you double check the score for me? Um, Thanks, I, I do apologize, sir. Uh, Andy, <laughs> I, I take it all football was not what you were uh, hoping for today. I'm taking it. You don't need a calculator. <laughs> he might. You, you know, know. Andy Rock might still need a calculator. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Randy is uh, walking. He's got an empty plastic bag. What was in there? Grapes? Grapes. Oh, you ate them all. Okay. He's, yep. That means you're fueled and ready to fueled go. Fueled and ready to go. I haven't, ha- I haven't seen you with a Diet Dr. Pepper in a while. I'm wondering what's going on. Oh, I, I've, I, I you have it out there. Yeah. I don't. I, don't. I have my share of Diet, Diet okay. Dr. Pepper. I haven't seen it. I'm just we'll, been, we'll take been care a of healthier option yeah. as of late with yeah. the Propel. Yeah, we'll take care of that this All week right, for you. Just checking. <laughs> Randy, say hello to Andy. Andy, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing great. You don't have a chance. I figured that was the case. Wow. Yeah. Yep. There you that, go. I figured that was the case. So you went without, if I don't have a chance, you went without the options <laughs> I'm taking it. Without the questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Randy, here we go. What is the earliest playoff round that Patrick Mahomes has been eliminated as a starter? Well, they played in uh, five consecutive AFC championship games. So I'm going to say the earliest that he has been eliminated has been the AFC Championship game. James James Cook's 221 yards from scrimmage yesterday are the second most in franchise history behind only this undrafted running back. Uh, for the Buffalo Bills? Undrafted running back for the Bills. So that would rule out Thurman Thomas, which is interesting. I figured that he would have been the guy. Uh, And that rules out Marshawn Lynch, who was a fourth-round choice. Who was an undrafted running back for the Buffalo Bills? O.J. Simpson was not undrafted. Jim Braxton was not undrafted, I don't think. Uh, So... uh, I, uh, nobody's popping into my mind. Brooks, I'll use the lifeline here. Already, Mike Sellers, Fred Jackson, or Dominic Rhodes? Uh, I think I'll go with uh, Fred Jackson. He had some good games as a member of the Buffalo Bills. All right, Randy. In each of the first three decades of post-merger Super Bowls, one conference won eight of the ten Super Bowls. The AFC in the 70s and the NFC across the 80s and 90s. Which is the only AFC team to win a Super Bowl from 1980 to 1990? Between 1980 and 1990, an AFC team that won a Super Bowl. Yes, sir. Okay, well, uh, Pittsburgh did not win in the 80s. Miami did not win in the 80s. The Raiders, so this would, the Raiders won in 83, but didn't win after that. Um, uh, the traditional ones. So those are the traditional Pittsburgh. Uh, so out west, Chargers didn't, Chiefs didn't, um, Broncos did. They didn't win one in the. 80s, but they won in the 90s. So would that count their two wins? 1980 to 1990. Oh, 82, 90. Yes. Okay, I thought it was 80s and 90s. Yes. Okay, so you had the Raiders winning in 1980 over the Eagles, right? The 80 season. Uh, and then they won in 83. So that would be the Raiders that would be the team that did that. The Raiders. 
Final this question. Awesome. Christian McCaffrey has matched Marshall Fox across a number of stats and records, including scoring seven touchdowns against one team in a season. Which team did Marshall tag for seven scores in his record-setting 2000 season? 2000 season, seven touchdowns against one singular team. I'm thinking that because he had four against the Saints at the end of the season, that it might be the Saints. Uh, what year was this again? Uh, did did we say 2000? 2000. 2000. 2000. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I, I will go with uh, the New Orleans Saints. This was a very close fight between Andy and Randy, despite the fact that Andy did not like the uh, theme of today's questions. <laughs> so, despite the theme, did Andy come out with a win, or does Randy Carricker take his winning streak from last week and roll it over into Monday? Ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. You just gonna keep, keep going. Just keep going. Give me all of them. Spanning the barrel like a west like a western gunslinger over there, Randy. Jeez. Sorry, Andy. Randy Carricker beat you three to two in today's fight. Ah, see, uh, I can take a few more of those. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tough one. All football. Let's go to the questions and answers. The earliest playoff round that Mahomes has been eliminated as a starter. Never before the conference championship. That's the earliest. Like you said, five straight for him as a starter. So that's the that's the earliest. James Cook's 221 yards from scrimmage yesterday. The second most in franchise history. Fred Jackson went off for 227 in a Bills uniform. That is the franchise record. In each of the first three decades out of uh, after the post-merger Super Bowls, one conference won eight of the ten Super Bowls. The AFC in the 70s and the NFC across the 80s and 90s. The Raiders were the only team from the AFC to win across the eight from 1980 to 1990. They won in 1980 and they won in 1983. Randy, the first decade post-merger, 1970s, the only NFC team that won was the... 1970s would have been the Cowboys. Would have right? been the Cowboys in the 1990s, the only AFC team that won. Uh, this would have been the Niners' years. Denver. Denver Broncos. And in all three decades, but the team that won, won two. Dallas in the 70s, Raiders in the 80s, Broncos in the 90s. And then there's been a ton more parity since then. Just a crazy little first three coincidence across uh, coincidence across the first three decades post-merger. And Christian McCaffrey has matched Marshall Falk across a number of stats and records, including seven touchdowns against one team in the season. Randy, it was actually uh, the week three game against San Francisco. And then a few weeks later, they played again early in the season. He ripped off three rushing touchdowns in week one and then he combined for four touchdowns, two through the air and two on the ground against the 49ers. His stat line against the 49ers in the 2000 season, 44 carries for 217 yards, five per, with five touchdowns and 13 catches for 126 yards. That's 10 per with other two touchdowns. So he went off for 350 yards across 202 games against the 49ers in the 2000 season. So Randy Carricker with a 3-2 win in today's fight. Andy, thank you so much for joining the fight and joining the show. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Who was the D coordinator of that team? Bet he didn't have a job after that day. Tom was, no, I think that would have been too early. Yeah, it would have been too early. 2000. Um, Well, 
They should turn on the same old sorry ass Rams quickly. Uh, yeah, Mooch was the head coach, so uh, I don't remember who it was, but uh, it was not. They were not good. They didn't have much talent either. All right, was, uh, thanks, Andy. Their defensive coordinator was Jim Mora. No, there you go. <laughs> Junior, Jim Mora. Uh, junior. junior, yeah. Jim Mora Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you told me Jim Mora. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did he get, get the Atlanta job the next year? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, not, not the next year. He got the Atlanta job in 2002. What? Yeah, I think so. Okay, 2002 okay, or sense. three, okay. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Fair wow. Great. Uh, thanks, Andy, for joining us. Man, what would happen if I would have had, if I had a chance? Great. Uh, <laughs> oh. So, uh, hey, th- it's interesting to uh, look at the way the Blues roster is assembled and look at the way that uh, it's kind of taken a toll on the coach, the first coach. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Our Blues Insider from The Athletic talked to Craig Berube about his departure. And one of the things that came up was the roster construction and whether or not the Blues post-Stanley Cup team really ever fit what Craig Berube wanted. And it that was noticeable as soon as they let Alex Petrangelo walk out the door and... Uh, a wee fella like Tory Krug, who's not the biggest defenseman, was brought in to be a key member of the defensive group. And they never did have the sort of size and grit that they possessed in 2018, 19, and then 19, 20 before things fell, fell apart because of COVID. And uh, I know it's hard to build a team that way, but I always got the impression that, and I mentioned this on the air, that after. 1920, they never really had what I thought was a Barubi team, even though he was on board with it and would never say anything about it. It just didn't seem like they had the big, forechecking, uh, long-armed, long-sticked defense that they had, and obviously forechecking up front. It just never seemed like they had that roster that they enjoyed when they had so much success in those first two years under Bruby. Well, and that's something that even Doug Armstrong mentioned in that press conference, right, is that you know you can't keep the band together, which I think people totally understand, but... Because of this, I think a lot of people will start looking back at everything going back to the whole Alex Petrangelo situation and whether or not that they should have kept him. I think hindsight's always twenty twenty, and you see the situation now and you wonder, was there a way they could have kept some of those guys here if they would have figured out a way to keep Alex Petrangelo? That's going to always be the biggest question. You can't go back in time. But it felt like once those contracts were signed with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, it was signaling in a new era for the Blues, that they were turning into a different team. I think the, the I mean, you can, you got to coach the guys that are here. And I think if you have a certain style of, of play and realize that you don't have the personnel to to run that style of play, then you have to shift some things around and and be more more able and willing to, to adapt and adjust. And not saying that Craig Berube was unable to do that, but I think that, Something there was some sort of disconnect between him, you know, and the players, and and how those things were being communicated. As we heard Armstrong say, you know, I would talk to Craig Berube about the game plan and what the meeting would be about, what the game speech would be about, and then I wouldn't see those things in the game. And so it, there's a disconnect from 
what the coach is telling you to do or what the coach is expecting you to do and then what you're going out there and doing. And it gets people fired. And I think it's it's all an unfortunate situation. But to, to I guess, concern yourself or, or concern ourselves with the roster and what was there and what wasn't there, they're all NHL players. They're all – they all have an expectation and a, and a standard to uphold. And I just don't think the players upheld that standard well enough for Craig Berube to keep his job. And whether or not they fit is open to debate – but we do know this, that Drew Bannister in the minors is coaching people like Bull Duke and Dean, who are both smaller. One's 176 pounds, the other's 187 pounds. We know that Tory Krug is going to be here because he doesn't want to go anywhere. We know that Scott Perunovich is likely to be here. We know that this is going to be a smaller, quicker, hopefully more skilled team, which probably does fit... A guy like Bannister, I don't know his coaching style, but I would assume it fits his coaching style better than it fits Barubi's coaching style. And Mm -hmm. if you go back to Doug Armstrong's postseason press conference in 2016, as he was about to let David Backus walk away, he talked about how this is becoming a faster more deft league. It, it, it was, it, it, and it is. If you look at the teams that are winning Stanley Cups, they are faster. There is definitely a space for heavy, but not everybody needs to be heavy to win. If you look at McCarr and Gerard on the blue line for Colorado, if you look at Nathan McKinnon up front, they're not the biggest guys in the world, but they obviously are playing to a high level of success. And you need to have somebody willing to build a system around smaller guys, which Bannister clearly has done with Springfield. Yeah, he, which he has. And then now you're two games in, and it's that whole effect we were talking about. Is this actually sustainable? Is this what we're seeing, something that they can actually hold on to? Or is this just a thing that we keep seeing in the NHL is when a new coach comes in, then a new voice comes in, and the players kind of rise to the occasion of that? I, I would hope that, like Baruby did, that Bannister can earn the job. Hopefully he'll get to a point where the Blues and the front office thinks, well, we aren't going to do any better than this. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he does so well that they, they get to that point. Because otherwise it seems like it's just going to be another recycle. We talked about all the recycling in the NHL. I'm on board with giving a new person some opportunities, getting some fresh blood in the coaching ranks in the NHL. Yeah. I think that's in every sport. Yeah, I agree. And I think just... You know, <laughs> flushing out all of the, 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 the guys that have done it for a long time and just keep, you know, getting job after job after job. you got to have some new faces and some new people coming in at some point. Yeah. And uh, makes the, you, the league healthier. Yep. You you guys are on board with the Blues having the miracle comeback this year like they did yes. in 2019. You're oh. on board with the person that plays Drew Bannister. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Stanley Tucci. With, oh, he, he's Stanley yes. Tucci. Is this is this what is happening, or is this the Jordan Cairo? Is the movie the Jordan Cairo the comeback? Story? Yeah, the comeback story. Yeah, the comeback story. Yeah. Who plays Jordan Cairo in a movie? This uh, is very important information that we have to get to the bottom. They have to be of. athletic, don't they? You have to skate. You can't have you can't have the the stand in the fill in uh, doing the skating. Well, they kind of do. You've seen in movies where they kind of do the cutaways and the yeah. the heads yeah. turn, yeah. so you don't exactly yeah. see who it yeah. is. Yeah. You like, know. <laughs> <laughs> so you can put somebody in there, and then right. it cuts back to a close-up of their face. Holy cow. Uh, I might have a guy for you. Oh, yeah. And okay. I don't even know his name, but I see him. What, what is he in? <laughs> Do you know him. what he's in? Um, I don't. I'm sorry. I, I just, oh, here we go. Miles Teller? 
Miles Teller. Oh, I got, I really? Yeah, a bit, I uh, Google Miles Teller. Yeah, I can see it. Ah, you know what? Yeah. Miles Teller is tall. Yeah, but it's very the, tall. The, the, the Excuse facial me, very structure. Hmm? It's there. I can see that. I can see. Yeah. yeah. yeah I like it. Thank bit. you. I'm yeah. okay with that. Somebody said Adam really Drivers. <laughs> Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> Keanu Reeves might be a little bit older. Yeah. yeah. We, we got some options to work Miles with here. Miles Teller is a good one. Thank you. Oh, that's a very good one. That is, yeah. Right. Uh, coming up, we've got our Rush Hour Reset for you here on the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're recapping the biggest sports stories of the day on the Opening Drive with a Rush Hour Reset. It's 9.05 in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke Grimsley, Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker. And don't forget, we have our merch sale going on right now. You can join in the holiday spirit by helping 101 ESPN support Operation Food Search throughout the month of December. We partnered with STL Shirt Company to offer a special 101 ESPN online merch store offering t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and more. We brought back some of your favorites like the Dunctionary t-shirt, the Be Patient shirt, Jamie Rivers and Brad Thompson jerseys, and if you order any of those during the month of December, proceeds will go to support Operation Food Search. Visit the 101 ESPN online merch store now at 101ESPN.com, powered by McBride Homes. All right, uh, it's time for the Rush Hour Reset. And we've been talking about the Blues, who came away with an overtime victory, 4-3 over Dallas Saturday night over at Enterprise Center. The Blues at Tampa tomorrow night and then at... Miami to take on the Panthers on Thursday night. This weekend, after Craig Barabay had been fired by the Blues. Who? Craig Barabay. Barabay. <laughs> Barabay. Yeah, I think it's that's French. A, oh, yeah, that's a French Bet pronunciation. Barube. So there is some people who <laughs> still say Barube. I know. They're wrong. <laughs> do you hear that every once in a while? I do, yeah. Oh, this is Especially gonna be from fun. Canadian people. This yeah. is going to be a fun clip for everybody. Oh, oh does he say Barube? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Barube. Paul Bissonette on uh, Arizona <laughs> Hockey Tonight. Sure, that's a heavily viewed show. Uh, <laughs> Randy! What? Uh, I was saying. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, here's, here's Biz Nasty. So here's my thoughts on the Tyrus situation. Like, I thought it was so disrespectful the way that he handled the media when he was asked about it. Like, Chief is a legend, even as a player. And then, of course, you want to stand in the cup there. And... I thought the reaction by the fan base was just trying to keep him honest, basically being like, if that's how you're going to treat the coach who brought us to Stanley Cup, and, and you're not going to have some positive words for a guy who tried to help you mold your game into an NHL-style game. Like, I think Kyrou's got all the skill in the world, but I don't think he's been as receptive to learning the defensive side of the puck. And that was something that him and Barube constantly butted head, heads about. Um, is Barube old school, and do those types of coaches have a, a short shelf life sometimes? Absolutely, but look at how many guys he's helped win a Stanley Cup and helped bowl uh, Craig Berube. It was it was interesting to see Cairo kind of change his uh, his tone very fast. But young guy, learning experience, uh, learn from it, move on. But once again, that's just a fan base. You know, they're blue collar, they're cutthroat, and they're going to keep they're going to keep you honest if you're being a, a, an entitled brat. Uh, Paul Bissonette, and that was Saturday night before Cairo obviously had scored the three points and had been 
accepted back into the hearts and minds the and souls of, yeah, <laughs> of, of, of Blues fans. He was on the outside looking in for yeah. a while, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, he no. kind of was. I don't like it out here. Yeah. Even People Magazine did an article about Jordan Cairo and the booze and the crying. Well, uh, Biz Nasty uh, I, looks at uh, a guy like like Craig Bruby as a legend. When you're, you're into People Magazine and you're all over the, the YouTubes, you're probably not thinking about Ruby being a legend. Mm-hmm. No, it, it definitely portrays a whole different side of it. But with the whole situation, Biz is exactly right. And it's what we've been saying, too. This is hopefully a learning lesson. It was a hard learning lesson. But also, it just shows you how the fans are very understanding, too. Because they, I thought it was great that Jordan Cairo went out there after that. His comments went viral about mm-hmm. Craig Berube, and he went and stood in front of media members after the game and made sure to show, okay, I'm going to correct my comments on this. I'm going to say something better. Craig Berube did mean a lot to me as a coach, and I thought that was good. And the fans accepted him back, one, because he clarified his comments, two, because of his play in right. that game. I think because he played better. Yeah, well, he did. You can... You can do a lot of things. I mean, as a professional athlete, you can do a lot of things. But as long as you play well, people tend to forget. I think one of the things in this town, and this is a good lesson for management people and coaches and managers in this town, too. Accountability is a big thing, too. If you are accountable and you own what you do or what you say, it earns respect. In St. Louis. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I grew up here. I've, I've, I've been on in radio for 40 years here. Accountability goes a long way in this town. Well, yeah, because it's like what Biz was saying. This is a blue-collar, hard-working town. The players we're, who are we're appreciative We're cutthroat, of, too, by the way. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very cutthroat. But that's because they care, and this is such a huge, huge lifeblood of this town. The Cardinals and Blues. I, that's I, what everything revolves around. I hope this was a moment for Jordan Cairo to, to understand you know, his his position in this city and on this team. I think that was a, a moment where, you know, you may have saw the maturation. It, it may have taken something like that, being booed for the comments that you made to realize the importance of, wow, it, it really is impactful to the people that are here. Sometimes as a player, you get in your own world and, and the outside noises. It, it's a good thing you are able to block them out and not, not pay attention to them. But sometimes you need a dose of reality, and I think he got that. And hopefully that's the thing that, that, you know, spurs him forward to continue to play well and play hard every single night because he saw in a, in a difference of, I guess, 24 to 48 hours what one side looks like compared to the other side. And by the way, Chief will be on our airwaves at 115 with BK and Ferrario this afternoon. Looking forward to that. And they'll ask him about the comments from Jordan Cairo. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Our mics are everywhere to get that. Yeah, well... Alex Ferrario, man, he's a hardworking guy. Gets by, in, in the room. By the way, a very important update. Somebody yeah. texted this in. Nick Jonas for Jordan Cairo in the comeback good. biopic okay. called Jordan Cairo's Comeback. Is Nick Jonas an actor too? In addition to being a singer, um, he was on a TV show on Disney. So, oh, okay, so I don't know if it's the best acting. So not really. <laughs> can he play hockey? <laughs> can he play hockey? Oh, Randy, that doesn't matter. We already established that you can do some cutaway shots where you can't see. Him exactly. Skating. Oh, so it's going to be oh, the, yeah, but it's it's the, the great call, movie? though. Great yeah. call. Yeah. Okay, I, I like the. the uh, <laughs> I'll tell you something, man. When I watch football movies and I see certain things, <laughs> I get so disturbed, <laughs> and I'm like, "Come on, man!" 
No, nobody no. there has ever watched or played football. That, that I know. put this. He, you need to call consult. me. I can consult for all of your football movies and make it realistic as possible. My thought about football movies is this: What's the good of having a square jawline and a six-pack abs if I can't throw a football like not looking like a nerd? That was yeah. it's not bad. looking like a nerd. I'm just saying. Uh, so the the big build-up game yesterday in the National Football League was Buffalo and Dallas. Man, my Cowboys. Uh, <laughs> down down 21-3. How about them Cowboys? At halftime, down 24-3. Early in the fourth quarter when Buffalo just rubbed some salt into the wound. Cook again, wide on. James Cook through everyone and he scores again. James How Cook. about them Cowboys? Yeah! <laughs> How about them Cowboys? 31-10 to 10 was the final. James Cook, 179 yards on the ground. And, oh, by the way, if you weren't aware of it, earlier in the season, the Cowboys did get beat. And it was just an off day. Just It, it happens. In, in a, Kerry, you, pl- you played in the NFL. You're going to have the odd 42-10 loss. Yeah, <laughs> you should compete every day, every chance you get. Um, you only got, well, 17 of them, guaranteed. Yeah, this is a team that lost 28-16 at Arizona. They lost to Ar- they lost at Arizona, Kerry. Not, I, I've said this all season, the Cowboys, there are a few teams that are that have good records, but don't strike me as teams that I believe are uh, mm. are going to make a run in the playoffs. And the Cal- the Dallas Cowboys are one of those teams. They 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 have good wins, but then they have some really tough losses. San Francisco, this game yesterday, you get beat up on and just get punched in the mouth in the way that they do or did. It, it's it doesn't look good. Remember back in the day, holiday Thanksgiving. Dallas played Minnesota when Randy Moss was a rookie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, three touchdowns and three catches. And was... uh, next Sunday, Christmas Eve, holiday, the uh, Dallas Cowboys are going to Miami. Oh. And somebody's oh. going to find themselves healthy again. Yes, Tyreek Hill is going to be running past some people. Yeah, he might wind up with 270 this possible. and three touchdowns. He's trying to get to that 2,000 yard still. Don't you hate on that rock? What are you talking he's about? not going to play. He's, he's not going to play enough play. games. He's going to play next week and I the week d- after. I, he's going to hit two hundred seventy yards. I'll playing next week. I, we'll see. He needs what, like six hundred yards? Talk to me on talk to me on Thursday if he's Where playing. If he's playing next week. And Philly plays Seattle tonight, right here on one hundred one ESPN six thirty pregame. Have we seen whether or not Hertz is going to play? He is questionable oh, with an yeah. illness. With he did not travel illness. with the team because Ooh. he didn't want they didn't want him to get the entire team sick. Uh, they said if he were to play, if they would have played yesterday, he would not have played. So maybe uh, a day later, he'll be okay. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But if not, Marcus Mariotto. Oh, yeah. Mariota! Yeah, yeah, I know the Mariotto thing yeah. always kills me. Yeah, man, so. that did not. Well, well, I'm surprised that he's still in the NFL a little bit. I am too. It, he's he's there. He's hanging field. on. That that era Decades. of the Titans was not not a fun one. You don't remember that Titans. <laughs> I don't want to remember that version <laughs> of the Titans. Okay. Uh, there is your Rush Hour Reset on 101 ESPN coming up. NFL, fair or fraud? It's a new game that we're going to learn the uh, rules to as we traverse this break on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. All right, time for NFL Fair or Fraud on the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN. Uh, Matthew Rocchio uh, is going to give us a subject, and we can say fair or fraud. Brooke got into this uh, earlier in the show, and so I wanted to open up with this one. It seemed that next year we were just going to see a redo, a redux, if you will, of the New York Jets, just with a healthy Aaron Rodgers. But after a 30 to nothing loss to the Miami Dolphins, 
Mo Salah's job security for next season 100% fair or fraud? Mo Salah? Mo Robert Salah. Robert Salah. Robert. I was going to say Mo Salah. Sorry. My bad. My, so- my soccer just dipped into my head a little bit. Sorry. Robert Salah. I kept saying Mo Salah like no, with all he, the confidence in my... Just say it with the chest. Sorry. He's saying Robert Mo Salah. Salah. Yeah, Mo, he's saying Mo, Mo Salah. Salah. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mo Salah? No? No. Robert Salah's <laughs> job security is set. That's fraudulent. He's... Uh, I don't think it's set. I don't think that he should be fired, but... I mean, this is a, this is a business where winning matters. And people don't care about your excuses. You haven't had a good quarterback. How many years? Four years? He's had Flacco. He's had Mike White. He's had Zach Wilson. He had Aaron Rodgers for four snaps. He hasn't had a a group of quarterbacks that you could say that that's a championship level of play. But that's how the cookie crumbles. It's life. Eliminated from playoff contention for the 13th year in a row. I'm going to have to say that his job security is definitely on the line here. Just because, especially the way in which they lost against the Dolphins, I know that there's a whole situation there. But did you also see on the sidelines the frustrations between Garrett Wilson and he was kind of unleashing mm-hmm. it on Aaron Rodgers? That's the team that is in need of some sort of change. Well, why are you there. talking to Aaron? Ain't yeah. nothing he can well, do. But yes, Aaron, Aaron's <laughs> basically the boss, is he not? That is where we we need the answer. What does Aaron Rodgers think of Robert Sala? Yes, that's and that's the answer. going to determine whether or not Sala has a if job I'm, next year. Well, if, if I'm the front office of the New York Jets, I'm not letting Aaron Rodgers pick anything else. You already did. No, I'm not letting him. Exactly. I'm not letting him pick anything else. You brought in Alan Lazard. You brought in um, uh, Randall Cobb. You brought in Nathaniel Hackett. Ricky no, Wagner. sir. No, thank you. I, I appreciate your, your services, but you just quarterback. I'll do this. Well, the problem is, though, if he doesn't like it, he won't come back. Well, what difference does it make? You the get a new quarterback, you get a new head coach. Cap it next yeah. Year. Well, and you then come by... on back and do your job, or we'll figure something out. But yeah. I'm not letting him run the the organization. He got hurt in four four plays. Yeah, I, I think they already turned. I think that horse is out of the barn. That's exactly what I was going to say. You already opened up the door to that by letting him determine a lot of that, of what he wanted coaching staff-wise. So that door's already open. And with Aaron Rodgers, I think we can all assume that he does what he wants. (laughs) And he'll say, no, this is what I want, and you guys are going to make it happen. All right, let's stay in the AFC. I'm going to go down to the AFC South because that whole jumble of mess that's going on there in the AFC South right now. (laughs) No, we don't have to. Oh, no, sorry, Brookie. Fraudulent. Oh, is that um, not the question? There's one (laughs) one team that's out of the running in the AFC South. We're not going to really talk about them as much, but there are three other teams all at eight and six, the Jaguars, the Colts, and the Texans. So, fair or fraud, the Colts still have a shot in the AFC South. Oh, fair. Fair. Definitely. Yes, fair. You go ahead, Randy. They're playing old school football. They're yeah. playing defense. They're running yeah. the ball. Gardner Minshew is. We talk about game managers. He's managing the game. They lost their best wide receiver the other night, Michael Pitt- really Pittman Jr. You know what they've decided to do? Run the ball. Yeah, thirteen times in a row. They're they. they and the, I get that the other two teams have the quarterback mm-hmm. with Lawrence and with Stroud, but they the the Colts are an absolute threat. Stroud was uh, dealing with a concussion, so he didn't play. But you have. Uh, the, the Colts are going to get their best player back probably mm-hmm. this weekend coming up in Jonathan Taylor, who's been out with a thumb injury. So that adds to what they have, and we'll see how, how well Michael Pittman is after he took that big shot. Um, but I, I think it's fair. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars, for whatever reason, they have – I said this throughout the season, they're a good team, but they still don't strike me as a team that you have to worry about making a deep playoff run because 
it just feels like there's something missing. Uh, and and I saw a stat that Trevor Lawrence leads the NFL in fumbles or or yeah fumbles from since 2021. Which is not great. Not great. No. no. Well, and it feels like out. they still need to learn, right? Yeah. With with their young quarterback, with Trevor Lawrence, I think that the Jags still have some learning to do and some growth, but it's in a positive direction. I know that somebody, there's somebody who always, every single day on the text line, is a Colts fan, and they like to hold it over my head that the Colts are doing better than the <laughs> Titans. But I do have to give the Colts credit on this one. They do look like the better team in with the AFC South. The backup quarterback in Gardner Minshew. Yep. And they're at Atlanta next week, and then they have That's the Raiders good. at home, and they finish up with the Texans at home. So... The Colts very easily with uh, Shane Steichen at the helm in his first year. They could wind up in the playoffs. They just got rolled by the Lions 42-17, to but the 7-7 seven and seven Broncos close out the, their schedule with the Patriots, Win. the Chargers, Win. and the Raiders. Win. Oh, so the, maybe not the Raiders. So the Denver Broncos potentially 10-7, and seven, fair or fraud? As a, as, a, as a real playoff fair. team. Ooh, I think it's just fair just because of those teams that they're playing. Hmm. I give credit to Sean Payton. Yeah. Sean Payton's done a good job of yes. getting that thing straightened out, too. It was bad. Yep. <laughs> it started off really bad. It was, you give up 70 points in an NFL game, you you got people questioning mm-hmm. uh, what the heck you're doing because they, they weren't looking good to start the season off. But they, they had that five-game winning streak where they took care of the football, ran the football really well, played really good defense, and um, they, they, they've done a good job. So I think they may, and now they've lost two in a row, but I think they may be a team that, Finds a way because the the now they didn't lost they won they lost yesterday but they won the week before they lost two out of the last three they they will find a way into the playoffs because I don't trust the Browns definitely aren't trusting the Pittsburgh Steelers right now um, and so the Broncos may sneak into the playoff picture somehow some way by the way it seems like the Raiders are going to have an effect on the playoffs really because they, they're playing really well yeah. right now. And even though they had that horrible out, uh, output offensively against Minnesota, they play good defense. And they play a lot of teams. Let, let me give you the Raiders' last uh, few games here. The, and not that they're going to be in the playoffs, but they're at KC. Yep. The, the, that's that seeding. That's going to be seeding. They're at Indy, and they've got Denver at home. And that's, I mean, so yeah. they, they can have an effect on the playoffs. Not that they're they, going to make it, but they can have an effect on them. They might on lose the all three of those games. They could very easily. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the difference between the Broncos in that in that last week being 10-7 and seven or 9-8, and eight, that's 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 going to shift a playoff spot, yeah. potentially. Um, one last one here, and, and mainly just because I want to I play this again. How about them, Cowboys? The Dallas Cowboys as Super Bowl contenders, fair or fraud? Fraud. fraud. <laughs> yes. Okay. So quick. Cool. That's all I wanted from this Should story. we be looking into a conspiracy theory about why they're so dominant at home, but then it just doesn't translate on the road? They're just piping Ooh. in crowd noise. Legends Gate. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. They they're just... poisoning the team with, with concessions, Randy. Well, if Philadelphia can win tonight, Dallas will be... A game behind them, eleven and three to ten and four. Dallas is three and four on the road, seven and zero oh at home. Yeah, so we should look into that. Uh, you know, Jerry's got suspicious. something to if, do with that. If there's an AI Jerry, maybe AI Jerry's up to something in there. But if if we look now at playoff seedings in the NFC, Dallas would have to go on the road. Ultimately, could Dallas beat San Francisco in San Francisco? No. Can they beat Philadelphia at Philadelphia? Mm, no. Can they beat Detroit at Detroit? That would be a coin toss for me. At Tampa. Ooh, I think they could beat Tampa. Yeah. I, I like Tampa, but I don't think that they are good enough. And You're by the way, that would Baker? be the first round game. If the playoffs started today, 
it would be Dallas at Tampa as a first rounder. I would take Dallas in that game. Yeah. And then to lose in the second round to either the Eagles or the 49ers. That's who they had next. All right. Uh, That is NFL Fair or Fraud on 101 ESPN. Coming up, more about Mo Salah. No, it's about John John Mo Mo Dallas. Mo Dallas. Do the Cardinals need one more arm in that bullpen? I'll tell you why they do next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's interesting when you look at really good teams, teams that go to and teams that win the World Series. There always seems to be that veteran presence down in the bullpen, and sometimes that guy is not the best pitcher. Sometimes it's a Chris Stratton type, or at this stage of his career, an Aroldis Chapman type. But it's guys that bring a presence down in the bullpen when you're sitting down there for seven innings to get young pitchers to relax. And with those guys that I mentioned, Texas had that this year. Houston has had that for multiple years uh, with a guy like Brian Abreu, who's been there for a long time and uh, just did a a fantastic job uh, as one of their relievers. But over the course of time, uh, when you look at what Houston did with with a guy like Phil Maton, who, oh, by the way, is a free agent right now with Hector Neris, who's kind of been around the block. It really is beneficial. Will Smith was with the Rangers this year. He's been on three consecutive World Series champions with three different teams. I'm one of those people that thinks it helps to have a veteran presence, especially down in the bullpen, because those guys are the guys that deal generally with the most pressure. A pitcher that can help teach players how to deal with pressure, to me, is invaluable. And that's why I would like to see the Cardinals spend a little bit of money on one of those guys heading into spring training. And I don't, by the way, I don't think that the Cardinals do have a group of relievers where you say, oh, I have to have him on the roster. I, I think there's multiple guys that could be displaced. Would it reduce the flexibility? Yes. But would it overall improve the bullpen? Yes. Yeah, I think that that's very interesting because I was just trying to think about that, about who is probably the most veteran guy out of the entire Cardinals bullpen as it stands right now. So you have Giovanni Gallegos Mm -hmm. and hoping that he will have a better season than what he had last year. You have Ryan Helsley, who dealt with injuries and also doesn't seem like they like to pitch him back to back days. And then you have Palante. I'm not doing this in certain order or anything. I'm just trying to think about who are the guys that we saw the most last season. Then you have Andre Palante, who definitely needs to have a better season next year because that is very vitally important. And his it, buddies are gone. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, Hoover no, Hagen and... Holy uh, Trinity. Yeah. Uh, the Holy Trinity. Who was the other guy? Who was the other one? Um... Uh, Started with the, I thought Barnes? John King was no, a part of it. No, it was a right-hander uh, that uh, <laughs> oh, been around oh. forever. Cody or something? No. It was uh, a. <laughs> I have no clue. We had so many nicknames for these yeah, guys. It's bad, bad that you don't even remember it. Um, oh. We'll think of it. Well, it, I'm sure it it's will a baseball come to our reference. Mind. Just look yeah. at the bottom of their ERA list. <laughs> <laughs> look um. at the bottom. <laughs> Casey Lawrence? Casey Lawrence. Yes. How could we forget about (laughs) him? the Holy Trinity. I am so sorry about that. Me too. Um, And then you have. He even got here. Yeah. Jojo Romero. Yo-Yo. Yo-Yo, who was a 
positive for the Cardinals mm-hmm. last season and his emergence, especially after Jordan Hicks. There was a lot of concern about who could step up into that role. And I thought that Yo Yoho Romero did a Yo-ho. fantastic yep. job. Other than that, who else do you have in this bullpen? There are kind of that there veteran, are veteran presence. presences. There isn't any. The, the, the important, I mean, that's important not just for the the baseball aspect of it or, or or the professional sports aspect of it. It's the it's the part of it where you're helping young players learn how to be pros. It's hard to make it to the big leagues. It's hard to make it to the NHL or or to professional football or whatever. It's harder to stay. And so having that veteran presence in the clubhouse, in the bullpen, a guy that can kind of walk you through and talk you through moments, it can help alleviate some of the stresses that come with being a young player. And so it is important, it is critical, and it is vital to a to a team to have a guy that not only is down there to talk, but also can play. Because if you mm-hmm. if you can do one without the other, then the 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 veteran presence really serves no purpose. So hopefully they are able to find a guy like that, a good clubhouse guy, a good teammate that can help perform when need be, but also can help mold and mentor those younger players. And the reason that we're talking about this is because yesterday Tom Ackerman on KMOX asked Mo about the bullpen, and Mo said, quote, We actually like our bullpen. I think that Helsley, Gallegos, and Romero are a pretty good way to finish a game, and they give you some flexibility. I do feel like Gallegos didn't have the year he hoped last year, but I think ending the season on the IL gave him an additional time to rest. I don't. I don't. Does this feel like Wilking Rodriguez 2.0? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I think they'll. I don't know what direction they're going to go. I, I know they talked about needing more flexibility in the bullpen because they mm-hmm. were just kind of stuck. If guys weren't performing well, they couldn't send them down because they, you know, the 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 waivers or being able to to send them off to Memphis and bring guys up, just unable to do that with the flexibility that they didn't have. So I know they want to have some of that for uh for this season. And again, just guys that can perform well enough. I think I still feel like they're they're a pitcher or two away at one in the starting rotation, one in the in the bullpen that is guys that can help this team be better than they were in 2023. So, we'll see what what what's left for what Mo has left in the in the tank mm-hmm. in terms of free agency or if he decides to go out and make a trade. Uh, either in spring training or sometime during the season. Well, and if you want to be sunshine and lollipops, when looking at that interview with John Moselak, he didn't exactly close the door on getting another starting pitcher in that same conversation as well when he was talking about the relievers. So if you are looking for something positive or to at least hope for this offseason, it sounds like that's not completely out of the question. And when you're talking about making a couple more moves, that's what it feels like, right? To say that this team can do more than just win enough to get you to the trade deadline where you can make some other moves. It feels like they're just a few moves away. If you're able to go trade for another starting pitcher or get another starting pitcher via via free agency, then that bullpen feels a little bit more secure because you have Zach Thompson, you have Matthew Libertor, you've moved down, and you could even put Steven Matz back in the bullpen. Pin, right. which is is expensive but what matters at the end of the day it's winning and getting the most out of that contract and if he's able to be really successful like he was last season coming out of the pin then that would be a huge benefit for the cardinals and would steven Matz in the bullpen be any different than andrew miller in the bullpen no same amount of money yeah mm. so uh, you know what the heck <laughs> why the, not I it's not our money so Matz did really well when he did go to the bullpen and got corrected and was able to become a starter again. I I, I just want to see him. You know, he had a great spring training, and then it kind of de, de derailed during the season, and he got it back on track. So hopefully, he can 
start spring training off on the right foot and continue it throughout the entire season. Yep. And by the way, there's a million free agent relief pitchers out there. So the Cardinals, they could get to probably the two days before spring training and sign a guy. Would you exactly. all be surprised if Jordan Hicks and Jordan Montgomery were back? I would be stunned. Oh, I would be on the floor. Jordan dead. Montgomery, the no chance. Less One than or the zero. Other? I would be really surprised. What about Jordan Hicks? I would be surprised. Neither. Well, yeah. Where are they going to go find some uh, help at? Well, I, I think, number one, they can find less expensive help than that. Uh, I, think they, I thought they liked Jordan Hicks. They were, uh, we assumed they were in contract talks with him before the trade deadline. Yeah, he might be a little bit too expensive for their tastes right now. And he wants to be a closer, I'm sure. Yeah. Or maybe a starter. Hey, he could also be a starter there again. Yeah, now well, we're, there you go. The is, we're cooking. He might only <laughs> want to be a closer. He might only want to pitch in save situations. I think he figured that out towards the end there. Yeah. He might be one of those guys where he he doesn't understand that not every game has a save situation. <laughs> and you call down to the bullpen oh, and you say, uh, hey, uh, get, up, you to get up, get up number in? 12. In like the bottom of the ninth and in a tie the game, score, like, uh, top of the ninth in a tie game. They want me in here for no, yeah. I don't do tie games. That seems like <laughs> a very specific situation. It could happen. <laughs> uh, could happen. Uh, coming up on 101 ESPN, we're going to head down the stretch with rock and roll. What do we got? Uh, we got tickets left now. Mm. All right, we don't have. Uh, we, this is old chicken and pickle because the uh, curbs already did that. Mm. Uh, we do have the merch store still open, but we're to, we're going to get uh, a, a rock solid take from Matthew Rock EO with rock and roll next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock! Let's rock today. For rock and roll, uh, Matthew Rocchio, what do you got for us today? Uh, well, something happened over the weekend, and, and credit to some texters who, who texted us about this that wanted us to talk about it. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about it, because over the weekend, the MLS has announced that they will not be sending their first teams to the U.S. Open Cup, also known as the Lamar Hunt Open Cup next season. They will be sending the MLS next clubs for each respective franchise. The reaction around this has obviously been very negative. The Open Cup is the oldest soccer tournament in America, first played in 1914 here in St. Louis. We have a special connection to it because it's the only thing that St. Louis's long soccer history kind of still has it, you know, is still real because there have been five times across the US Open Cup's history obviously very early in its history, where five, where three different STL clubs hoisted the U.S. Open Cup Championship five different times. When so was the last one? It was the 1950s, I believe. Okay. Uh, and so, in reaction to this noise, the St. Louis supporters groups, uh, Florida Noise, No, no Nap City Ultras, St. Louis City Punks, STL Santos, St. Louis, STL Lugaligans, and the Thieves, uh, released a statement saying essentially they will not do any supporters group events around the United States, around the Open Cup games until the league figures this out and rectifies the problem again. You pull off the first teams, you completely lessen how important it is and part of this is one of the reasons that MLS fans are angry is because it seems like a cash grab because you get rid of 
this from the first team schedule because there's too many games. One of the reasons there's too many games on your schedule is because you expanded the League's Cup, which a lot of people see as a money grab from the United States and Mexican leagues, which it's 2023 and we're talking about sports, so of course it's a money grab. <laughs> so these, people are mad that they're getting rid of the U.S. Open Cup. fans are going to disrespect these young men who are just trying to play a game just trying to get out there and win. They aren't going to support these youngsters. Oh, excuse me, sorry. My apologies. They will go they will they will not do anything at any of the League's Cup games. So I guess they're still going to do US Open Cup games to support okay. the youngsters, Good, okay. but they will completely boycott the League's Cup fixtures for the United for uh, uh, STL City. By the way, oh, you, cool. you cool. might not remember by the way, but Club America, that was the League's Cup uh block for you know, uh, for St. Louis City. If you remember that time oh, in yeah, July when yeah, they didn't play I any do. games, yeah. they got rolled by a Mexican team, and then they didn't really do so anything else. So what you're else. telling me is they aren't going to come to games that aren't being played. Well, <laughs> the League's Cup games are, are played. They're just not maybe the not most if, known. Not if you lose the first one, though, right? Well, well it's, a group, it's a group thing, so you have... How many um, did St. Louis City play at home played, last year? They played three games. They played... I think they played two of them at home. In the League's Cup? I believe so, if I remember correctly. Okay. I gotta go. I, I, there's a lot of different formats across all these tournaments. I forget which ones which sometimes. That's good. That's an opportunity for people that don't ordinarily get a, get a chance to go to City Park to watch some games, right? And to see some teams that don't usually come yeah, through here yeah. um, go to games. But essentially, yeah, they're they're angry. Is Messiah coming? And, and the, the the reason why they're <laughs> angry, of course, Mbappe. is the U.S. Open Cup. Also, and Christian, it was the only tournament that involved teams outside the MLS. So STL City, STL FC. Um, which, of course, played out at Soccer Park. They actually won a bunch of games against MLS teams through the Open Cup when they were still a team. Uh They beat the Chicago Fire. They made this incredible run. So there's a lot of fans from the get-go who started at the base with St. Louis FC who saw that as a way for younger, for smaller clubs to get some recognition, and now you're taking that away from those teams and basically saying, you don't even get to play MLS clubs anymore. You get to play our academy teams. Have fun. I am totally on board with the supporter section. A hundred percent. I'm glad that they're supporting the youngsters. There you go. And uh, yeah, that we, if it's a cash grab and you could avoid a cash grab, then avoid a cash grab. I just don't know. I mean, can you avoid cash grabs in, in, in sports nowadays? Yeah, but you can, a cash grab. You, you can always <laughs> put your tickets on the StubHub. And, and here's my thing. The Garber came out and pretty much said we we made That's this Don Garber commissioner Don Garber the commissioner of the MLS came out and said we made this move <laughs> because teams weren't putting their number one players out through, throughout the early rounds and they would wait until the championship rounds to actually play their first team players. Again, you're going to now get U.S. Open Cup games that are all young players, but now the teams will not have the option of adding the talented players in the later rounds when it becomes a championship game. So talented I think players, I, well, Jan- or Randy, older players. Now. More veteran players. Okay. And so I just think you, you lose... Denigrate the talent of these young men. It's Again, it's a good thing. The U.S. Open Cup has always been a good thing. City, when they played the U.S. Open Cup games, used it as a way to get younger players in, guys yeah. like John Klein. So you can already use that as a way to highlight young players. Why take away the ability for a team to take it seriously like it's a real part of their schedule by just saying first-team players cannot compete in the tournament at all? That's, I also think, a lot of people are wondering, why is the MLS making a move to just change it because they think the prestige has been problematic? Can I? Well, go ahead. <laughs> is it the MLS or MLS? Oh, God. Oh, oh. Is it the Major League Soccer, or is it? Oh, I think it's just MLS. Is yeah. it? Is it the Don Garber, or is it Don Garber? The Don. 
Okay, the, the, okay, okay, the soccer okay. Don is his uh, Twitter yeah. X nickname. I, I guess they're kind of like Major League Baseball and that they don't yeah, like the in front of it. They don't. I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure on this one. I would think that it's just MLS. But hey, by the way, in the supporters the... group statement they put up on Twitter, they refer to him as MLS and the MLS. So okay. I'm not 100 percent sure okay, in that one. Either. Well, I just want the fans to know that I'm on their side. Good job, uh, yeah. Listen, I, I loved. I I hung out with the Luligans a few times. I love the Luligans. Oh, there you go. They're, they're the very passionate. Yeah, Things the like best. the League's the Cup have to happen because you have to get more money in the sport. But that doesn't mean you have to destroy a tournament that's over 100 years old because of a, the League's Cup. There's a lot of congestion, but that's why that's why I think soccer's fun. It's because you have the MLS next. You have the Academy. There are random games where you're going to see Miggy Perez or Caden Glover jump up and play. That's a fun part of soccer. I don't know why you should denigrate that or take away from that factor. I have a question. Is it. it similar to like the NHL and NHLPA creating like the World Cup? Is this kind of the same? That's exactly what I was thinking. The same thought process. Yeah. Where they, they they create they created something to take away from a different tournament that yeah, yeah, yeah from, much. from the Olympics because you, so have you, more, what I'm saying? you have more control over it. You get the money from it. Whereas yeah, the NHL doesn't get any money from the Olympics. So why should we let our go our players so go is, waste time over there? That's it's, basically what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Similar, a little bit, that? yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's that, that's a, that's an apt uh, comparison, and yeah, like like NHL fans, big brain uh, stuff over job, here. Rookie. MS, <laughs> MLS fans well. are, are pretty ticked off, and this that's is why, why I was quiet over here. There's <laughs> you over there processing. <laughs> <laughs> this is why also I love the supporters group mentality in, in in soccer. The 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 way that they come together across all the different supporters groups. That's what I think an, uh, another fun part about soccer. And educated about the history of the sport, which is fantastic. So mm-hmm. good, and I hope that what they are protesting. I, I hope they win. I, I hope MLS will ultimately capitulate and allow the veteran players to participate in the Lamar Hunt Cup. And here's the thing is the MLS has a pretty easy window here. They said this is like a one-year thing. They were like, we, we, we want to oh. do it right now for 2024 to see how it goes. So my guess is it'll they'll get panned. Uh, there'll be a lot of different um, protests around the League's Cup games and other things, and they'll probably reverse it okay. after a year. Good deal. Uh, that's our producer, audio, video engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Uh, Brooke, was this fun today? Yes. How about that? How is there a question after that? that? I was just wondering, you, you got really mad at me, like, right off the bat when was, we were talking about friends. <laughs> I didn't get mad at you. I was more concerned, because what did you say, Randy? Nothing. So, we we want to end the show on this, too? Randy wants to say it again. Oh, well, so I just don't want to ruin it for people no. that didn't no. get a chance to hear no. it. Here's the thing. Right. The, the Friends people, the, they, they got $20 million Brooke. a year. They, they are getting it in residual. Jewels. And my my point was not laughing, not laughing. My point was that if you get twenty million dollars a year, you can just hang out in your pool all day and enjoy the summer breeze. Yeah. No. Oh, the beautiful night sky. No. Oh. No. Hey, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part I'll of our show. I'll be there for you. <laughs> when rain starts to fall. Uh, until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a wonderful Monday, St. Louis. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.